At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. Hey. Hey. What is up, y'all? I just realized you can hear the dryer, but Jamie. whatever. Like, you guys are going to have clean fucking underwear, so <laughs> whatever. Yeah. We're doing laundry like a mama on a Sunday, so uh, whatever. Whatever. <sighs> yeah, it is kind of loud. I didn't notice it until... My sweater's in there with buttons. <laughs> Is that what the banging is? Probably. Nice. Yeah. Huh? But yeah, we're going to have fresh underwear. So yeah. Thank so, you. Whatever. It is what it is. Yep. So episode 44, y'all. Yeah. And I'm uh, I'm torn. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel and I don't know if I'm ready, ready to, to publicly give my opinion. Really? Yeah, because I learned a lot. You've been digging <clears throat> big time into this. Mm-hmm. You've been reading a lot of shit. And I got to tell you. The entire week you've been. And then like last night I woke up at two in the morning again and you're fucking yeah. researching. I've read three books yeah. this week. You you really, I give you credit. You really dug into this one too. Um, I'm, I'm angry about it. I'm sad about it. I, I, I don't know. I'm just... I, I know a lot from my younger days because I was a huge Nirvana yeah. fan. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I, I basically worshipped him when I was right. younger. I had the haircut like him. I had the flannels. Yeah. So, I mean, I still listen to him. I love him. I do, too. Um, But I, I have my opinion, and I'm just, I'm yeah. not going to budge. I mean, probably. okay, so obviously we're doing Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Um, I mean... It's people are are very torn. Um, right. You know, it's it's a fifty fifty. Either you believe he committed suicide, right, or you believe Courtney Love murdered him, right. There's no in between. There isn't. Right. Um, and it's hard to think that things are biased when literally everything that you read points in one direction. Oh yeah. Everything points in one direction. Yeah. The only thing I researched on this was a while back, I watched the one film, the one documentary where Courtney Love's Private Eye yeah. is like, you know, hosting it or whatever. Yeah. And and it was totally biased. So I didn't, I did, I just wrapped this up like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, I know. Um, I was smoking a cigar while I you have, did it. Yeah. I have a lot of information about the private eye. I didn't include a lot of it. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, it's it's 
biased. I, you can say it's biased. Uh, I mean, he he worked for her. Mm-hmm. She gave him jobs to do, and he reported on his opinion of, right. of what he thinks. He has his reasons for thinking the way that he does. Do I understand why he's thinking the way he is? Yes, I do. Mm. I at this point, like, I understand both sides. Okay, but I yeah, I'm like like super upset about it. To be perfectly honest with you, that like, bad, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm kind of interested to see what like I'm. What yeah. else you found out? It just it. The whole fucking thing. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I know a lot. You, you know my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like, you were... You surprised me quite yeah. a few times, but... Um, uh, I I totally worshipped him. And he's the reason why, like, I started learning guitar when I was younger. I'm pretty sure I'm going to say some things that are going to piss people off. So, yeah. it is what it is. What else I, is new? I have literally given my entire life to to this subject the last week. And I know it's just a week but uh, you were digging like it makes my stomach hurt what that bad yeah Mm. i'm really like i don't know okay i don't know so i don't know why don't we do business first yeah Okay, so we have patreons Ooh, we got some new ones yes we have a ton of new ones and there's a couple that i'm not sure if i uh, announced before so if if i do a repeat Cool. You get to hear your name twice. So um, we have Emily, who is a sergeant. Thank you, Emily. Jenny, who's a lieutenant. Thank you, Jenny. Aaron, who's a sergeant. Dryer's done. Oh, yeah. Uh, Deborah, who is a sergeant. Ashley Norris, who is a sergeant. Sorry, I said your last name, but you put it in here. Um, Crystal, who's a patrolman. Monica, who's a sergeant. And then Josh. Oh, our nephew. Josh is our nephew. He's a patrolman. All right. And then Janet. Oh. My, my Jan Jan. Who you used to work with. Yeah. She's going to come help us do YouTube because we're stupid. Yeah. So. Yeah. We yeah. tried it once and the video is yeah. very grainy. She but. said she binges when she uh, picks up Gigi. Like, who's like a grown fucking woman now, by the, the fuck way. Is Gigi? Her daughter. Oh, okay. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. What, yeah. Why are these children like 27 now? I know, we're old. Oh my God. We uh, are officially yeah. old. Vicky, who is a sergeant, and then Kendra, who is a lieutenant. Wow, we yeah. really got a few. I like oh. Kendra's uh, email. It's Kendra Paradise. Ooh, fancy. You guys are fabulous. Thank you guys. I love you. Very much. You're that the best. That is awesome. Wow. We really did yeah. get a few. It's creepy when you do it. I love you. Yeah, it's creepy when you do it. Mm-hmm. Creepy. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. There's a lot about... Okay. I included a lot about his younger days. Yeah. And how he got to where he got and... Okay. All that stuff. There's a lot. There's... A lot of fucking pages, and I'm not going to apologize, so let me Uh move my shit. Yeah, you're popping out the notebook. I don't even have my notebook because it's so much. You just got pages. I do. Jesus, you have like 100 pages. I'm not going to tell you how many pages. Oh, babe, what the fuck? (laughs) So. Uh, We might as well just 
pop into it then. Yep. All right. Y'all ready? Hit me with it. All right. So Danny Goldberg, he was uh, an executive with Gold Mountain Records, who obviously Nirvana had their label with. Mm -hmm. Um, After Kurt passed, he said, quote, he was a depressive, a junkie, and a creative genius. He could be bitterly sarcastic or despairing, but he also had a romantic streak and confidence in the excellence of his art. Kurt was a slob and maintained a goofy sense of humor. He liked the same junk food that he ate as a kid, and he liked to wear pajamas during the day. Same dude. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, yet his slacker affect often obscured a highly sophisticated intellect. Um, another record executive said, quote, two things that are often forgotten about Kurt. First, he was very funny. Second, it was that he was incredibly smart. That's so, so that's heard so often. I mean, even before his death, when he started becoming well-known, people were like, he's, he's a fucking genius. He's yeah. an absolute genius. Um, so it said a lot. Uh, Kurt Donald Cobain was born February 20th of 1967, which, by the way, I kept reading like 1988, 1989, and I'm like, this is 30 fucking years ago. I know. And it feels like right? two years ago, you yeah. know? Um, okay, so he was born to parents Wendy and Donald at Grace Harbor Hospital in Aberdeen, Washington. Uh, he soon would have a younger sister, Kimberly, that followed in 1970. Kurt was born into a musical family. His maternal uncle, Chuck Frandenberg, played in a band called the Beachcombers. His aunt, Mary Earl, played guitar with multiple bands throughout the county. And his great uncle, Dilbert, was an Irish tenor mm. who actually was in a movie called King of Jazz in 1930. Uh, his family said he developed an interest in music very early. His Aunt Marie said he started singing at age two and playing the piano by age four, um, not being able to read music and could just hear a tune and kind of crudely play it. That's me. Yeah. Same thing with the guitar. He never learned how to read music. Yeah, I never which did. Which you never did, which is a, it's a talent that you just don't understand. It's yeah. insane. Um, oh, by the way, I still have a cold. I'm dying. Oh, um, God. Thank you. Shut up. Uh, Kurt would constantly be listening to the Ramones electric like orchestra and sing Hey Jude and the Monkeys theme song. He was described as a happy, excitable child, but also sensitive and caring. Not long after he turned two, he created an imaginary friend named Boda. Um, his parents felt that he was too attached and said that he got drafted to fucking Vietnam with an uncle. Yeah. Kurt was like, you're full of shit. Yeah. And still talked to Boda. But... Um, so Don was a mechanic at a Chevron service station, and Wendy actually stayed at home. She was considered a classic beauty and ended up getting pregnant just weeks after graduation. When they found out she was pregnant, they snuck to Idaho to get married. Oh. Um, Don worked long hours, and Wendy stayed home. Uh, two children definitely changed the dynamic, and any spare time that they had was filled with family visits and Don's sports. He played a lot of intramural sports, like basketball and shit. Yeah. Um, at the age of five, it was clear that Kurt had a natural talent for art. Uh, a teacher commented, quote, he could, or excuse me, a friend commented, he could draw anything. Once we were looking at pictures of werewolves, and he drew one that looked just like the photo. His paternal grandmother, Iris Cobain, encouraged his art, and she convinced him to join in her favorite craft, which was using toothpicks to carve reproductions of Norman Rockwell images onto the tops of freshly picked fungi. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's weird. Odd. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, um, but weird as fuck. Yeah. 
like who would think to do who, this? Yeah, where would you come up I with don't that? Know. So uh, Kerr would say many times that he felt immense joy in his childhood, uh, but he soon became very aware of the increasing strain between his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, Don was crushed by financial pressures, and Wendy was crushed by caring for two small children. Uh, they began to argue in front of the kids, yelling at each other, both saying to each other, you have no idea how hard I work. Uh, the stress levels increased in 1974 when Don entered the timber industry, which was, you made great money, but it was deadly, apparently. Really? So he started in the office, so he didn't start out there. Um, he was picking up extra shifts, but they often had to borrow money to pay bills. Yeah. Um, his parents would joke about a bouncing 20 because they would borrow it and he would pay it back. They would borrow it, he would pay it back. Yeah. Um, Don was strict with the kids, expecting Tur- Kurt to act like a, quote, little adult. Uh, when Kurt would act like a shit, uh, writing on the walls or slamming doors, Don would spank him. Hmm. So okay. this is where my opinion may not be popular. Um, more common, almost daily punishment, was he would take two fingers and thump Kurt on the temple or the chest. What's wrong with that? It's, he said it only hurt a little, but the psychological damage was deep. Oh, Jesus. Here we go. See? Dude, yeah. So, uh, he said it made him fear greater physical harm, causing him to retreat uh, into his closet. And my notes say, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I got spanked with a paddle. <laughs> yeah. If you're being a shit, you're being a shit. Yeah. I got I, hit with the belt. I got hit with hanger. What, I just... What the, uh, here's the next one. That, that was discipline. Here's the next one. Hang on. Oh, you got a puff. I need a smoke. So both parents could be mocking and sarcastic. And the example that they gave was telling him he was going to get a lump of coal for Christmas. That's what everyone does. His dad said, quote, it was a joke. We did it every year. He got presents and all that. We never didn't give him presents. This was also right around the time um, that Kurt's exaggerated stories started. He said that one Christmas he was promised a Sersky and Hutch toy gun, but instead he only got neatly wrapped coal. Okay, well, if you're drawn on walls, slamming doors, you little shit. Right. (laughs) So, um, Don actually... um, he encouraged Kurt to play sports, particularly baseball. Yeah. Uh, he started playing Little League at seven, which Don coached. He wasn't the greatest, but he wasn't the worst either. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uncle Gary was quoted as saying, quote, he didn't really want to play, I thought, mentally. I think he did it because of his dad. Yeah. Um, both Don and Wendy seemed to have issues with the idealized child and the actual child. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew what they wanted and what they got. Right. Uh, in second grade, his parents and teachers thought Kurt's endless energy might be caused by an underlying medical issue. So the pediatrician removed red dye number two and limited the sugar in Kurt's diet. Do you remember when that was a big thing, red dye number two? No, not at all. They said it causes excitability in, in children. Really? Yeah. Um, neither helped, so they gave him Ritalin. Mm. Uh, he only took the Ritalin for three months. Uh, Even in 1974, the decision was controversial. There were scientists that argued it could increase the likelihood of addictive behavior later in life, and others believe that if hyperactivity wasn't treated, that the individual will later self-medicate with illegal drugs. Um, Opinions varied within the families, obviously. Kurt's own opinion later in life was that the drug had a significant impact on him. 
Um, Courtney Love, who was also prescribed Ritalin, but for a much longer time, would say in an interview, quote, when you're a kid and you get this drug that makes you feel that feeling, where else are you going to turn when you're an adult? It was euphoric when you were a child. Isn't that memory going to stick with you? Didn't with me. You took Ritalin? No, but Hmm. you know how much shit I was on when I was younger. I don't know what Ritalin makes you feel like. I didn't realize it gave you a euphoric feeling. I, I also didn't realize that there was such controversy about it being linked to illegal drug use. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know either. I didn't look too far into it. So, I don't know. Mm. Um, in February of 1976, one week after Kurt's ninth birthday, Wendy told Don she wanted a divorce. She then took off in her car and left Don to tell the kids. Um, <clears throat> and despite the obvious marital strains, this came as a surprise to everyone. Mm-hmm. Don was in denial and moved inward, which is a behavior that Kurt would later mirror. Um, his main, her main complaint was Don's involvement in sports. For real? Dude, I just picture my mom and dad. For, for real? <laughs> you couldn't be like, can you skip a game? Dude, that's, Maybe? that was my parents. Um, Don said, quote, in my mind, I didn't believe it was going to happen. Divorce wasn't so common then. I didn't want it to happen either. She just wanted out. On March 1st, 1976, Don moved out and rented a room by the week because he thought they were going to get back together. Yeah. March 29th of 1976, Don was served with a summons and a petition for dissolution of marriage. Um, He never showed up to court, Mm -hmm. hoping it would change her mind. But on July 9th of 1976, um, he was held in default and a final settlement was granted. When he got custody and Don was ordered to pay $150 monthly in child support and given, quote, reasonable visitation. Back then, visitation wasn't generally spelled out. So why are you sitting like that? What do you mean? I feel like you're going to pull a shank out of your wheelchair. What are you doing with your arm? You look all weird. comfortable like that. Oh, sorry. Okay. Jesus Christ. Just don't shank me. How the fuck would you like me to sit? Shh. Jesus. Don't don't yell at me. (laughs) I'm just, I'm comfortable like that. Do you see what I fucking deal with? Oh, you're yelling at me how I sit. Do you see this? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, could you do something about your face? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to fucking punch you in yours. Jeez. Um, Don moved into his parents' Montesano trailer, and Wendy moved on with Frank Franich, who was a longshoreman who made twice as much money as Don, but was also prone to violence and anger. Mm-hmm. To Kurt, no other single event in his life had more and more of an effect on the shaping of his personality. He didn't know how deep the marital problems were rooted, so he didn't understand the split. His Aunt Marie said, quote, he thought it was his fault and he shouldered much of the blame. It was traumatic for Kurt as he oh saw everything God. he trusted in, his security, family, and his own maintenance unravel in front of his eyes. Whoa, me. I'm the product of divorce. I, I am too. Every child feels that way. Yeah. So. Um, in, but he's special. In June, he wrote on his bedroom wall. Oh, God. Quote, I hate mom. I hate dad. Dad hates mom. Mom hates dad. It simply makes you want to be so sad. Both my mom and my dad would have beat my ass. Yeah. <laughs> if I did. They would have come together collectively as a divorce right. couple to beat the fuck out of me for that. Yeah. Um, Iris Cobain described 1976 as, quote, Kurt's year in purgatory. Uh, when Kurt was 10, he was hospitalized for malnutrition. Mm. He just stopped eating. Um, this was thought to be the beginning of a stomach condition that he suffered later on. 
Wendy also had an undiagnosed stomach condition in her early 20s after uh, giving birth to Kim. So it was assumed that Kurt started having stomach aches. It was kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, in a 1993 interview, Kurt said, quote, I remember feeling ashamed for some reason. I was ashamed of my parents. I couldn't face some of my friends at school anymore because I desperately wanted to have the classic, you know, typical family, mother, father. I wanted that security. So I resented my parents for quite a few years because of that. We all did. Yeah. Dude, I, <laughs> I don't feel bad for him. We all did. Yeah. Um, after a few months, Kurt moved in with Don. Uh, He became the center of attention again, so he seemed to have calmed down a bit. Mm. Don promised to never remarry, but that was pretty short-lived. Kurt didn't understand Don's need for adult companionship, and when asked why, you know, you promised not to remarry, he said, well, things change. Yeah. Don married Jenny Westby uh, around 1977-1978. She had two kids, uh, Mindy, who was a year younger than Kurt, and James, who was five years younger. I get it. I mean, when you're older... You don't want to be alone. Oh, I totally get it. Yeah. I mean, if when things happen with me, you know, if I didn't make it, like, I would want you to to find someone else. Yeah. Um, No, I'm just saying. I know. Like, I I, I don't want you to be alone. His issue seemed to be, like, he, he was an only child for a little while. Not long, but a little while. And everything, he was the first grandchild. So everything and everyone was focused on him. So it was like when it wasn't, yeah, he he didn't know what to do. Right. Um, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't feel sorry I, for him. We all went through it. Right. All, you know, everyone, every kid who right. has divorced parents goes through it. So at first he liked Jenny and the maternal attention that he, he needed. Um, but he soon began to feel that if he cared for Jenny, he was betraying his mom and his, quote, real family. So he continued to withdraw. Kurt continued to visit Wendy on the weekends, but it only served as an irritation to the old wound because his parents would constantly fight. Kurt yearned for the closeness while fearing being close would result in later abandonment. Okay. I wish you could see my face. No. Frank uh, Franich, the dick his mom was dating, actually broke uh, Wendy's arm in front of Kurt, which left him feeling helpless because he couldn't protect her. Yeah. Um, And it left him fearing for both of their lives. That I can understand. That I get. Yeah. Um, Wendy noted drastic changes to Kurt's personality and mood. Excuse me. He was uh, generally being a dick and was defiant. He refused to do chores. He refused to do really anything. Yeah. Um, and he actually started bullying a kid, which really? was was weird because he was a caring and sensitive kid. And he tended to be the kid who was friends that nobody else wanted to be friends with. Yeah. Um, but he bullied this kid so relentlessly, the kid refused to go to class. Really? So, wow. yeah. I didn't know that. Um, he would write about it later in his journal about how, like, he knew he was being a dick and he knew he shouldn't be bullying this kid. Yeah. So um, Don and Jenny were at their wits end and they ended up taking Kurt to therapy, which in the 70s was like a big fucking oh, yeah, to do. I could imagine. Um, after a couple sessions, the therapist recommended that Kurt be with a single family. Mm-hmm. On June 18th of 1979. Now, some, some sources say June 28th, too. So. Don was granted legal sole custody um, of Kurt. Hmm. Kurt eventually joined the junior varsity wrestling squad. 
Don was happy and went to every match, but Kurt's main reason for joining was to spend time with his art teacher, who was the coach. He saw his art teacher as the one male who encouraged what he really enjoyed, which was art, Art, while his dad didn't. Um, On February 20th, 1981, which was Kurt's 14th birthday, his uncle offered him a bike or a used guitar. Uh, He obviously chose the guitar. He quickly learned to play Stairway to Heaven and Louie Louie, Another One Bites the Dust, and My Best Friend's Girl. My Best Friend's Girl, he plays like throughout life. Really? He would play it at concerts. Yeah. Um, He learned to play left-handed despite being forced to write right-handed. Now, I don't don't know if many people know this, but like in Catholicism, being left-handed is a sign of the devil. Mm -hmm. My dad was left-handed and they forced him to write right-handed. But I guess if you play... The guitar left-handed you have to switch the strings around yeah that's what you were saying earlier so he would play left-handed but would not do any string reversal no that's that's talent that's, so that's tough to do um he could play songs after hearing it and didn't know how to read music like i said earlier mm-hmm. um around this time his parents started to become concerned about a darkness they saw inside of him Jenny stated, quote, there was something wrong, something wrong with his thought process, even from the beginning, something unbalanced. So this leads me to think that, I mean, there was a lot of underlying mental illness that went untreated, clearly went untreated. Um, While walking home from school, his friend John Fields said Kurt should be an artist Kurt casually said, quote, I'm going to be a superstar musician, kill myself, and go out in a flame of glory. Damn. He responded with, Kurt, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Don't talk that way. To which Kurt responded, no, I want to be rich and famous and kill myself like Jimi Hendrix. Obviously, Jimi Hendrix did not kill himself. He, no. he was part of the 27 Club, which we should do an episode on. Yeah. Choked on his own vomit. Um, multiple friends, though, say that he had similar conversations with them. Really? So... Mm-hmm. Suicide conversations weren't a surprise to his family, and he would often say that he had, quote, suicide genes. Mm. Uh, there was a family history of suicide, mental illness, and alcoholism. Yeah. He had uh, three uncles die by suicide. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, his, all three of his dad's, um, or great uncles, excuse me. Yeah. Me, no. There, there were uncles. There was a great uncle and then other uncles, but lot of suicide wow. obviously yeah um that's crazy and his mom i think had some mental illness also but mm. she also had alcoholism later on yeah um so on top of that in eighth grade kurt and two friends found the body of an acquaintance hanging outside of one of the elementary schools oh damn yeah now um that'll fuck you up that'll fuck you up big hangings time. will fuck you up yeah so, um, this is about the time he started smoking pot and doing LSD, which LSD now is like, oh my God. Yeah. But back then it was like acid, whatever. Um, first he did it at parties and then he would start, you know, smoking by himself. Yeah. And by the ninth grade, he was a full fledged pothead. Mm. Oh, well, yeah. um, it let him forget about his home life. But then he would skip school with friends to smoke pot and steal booze from the parents. Yeah. Same. Dude, same. Um, eventually, he started skipping school alone and was becoming alienated from everything except his own anger. Uh, conflicts with Don and Jenny hit their breaking point. He was spending less time with his friends and more time at home just being a generalized dickhead. There's no other way to put it. He was being a douche. He was teasing his um, 
stepbrother and sister. He was just, he was just being a butthole like teenager. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, in September of 1981, his freshman year, he tried fitting in, so he tried out for the football team. Yeah. Made the football team, played for two weeks, said it was too much work, and quit. Wow. But he also ran track that year. Hmm. Played the whole season. Um, he was still wrestling, making varsity as a freshman. Uh, Kurt said he was purposely pinned four times during the championship match, causing Don to walk off in disgust. Don and friends said this didn't happen. Um, his friends said that if anybody lost on purpose, like they'd get the shit beat out of him in the locker room. Yeah. Um, but his grandfather, Leland, remembered Don telling him, quote, that little shit just laid there. He wouldn't fight back. So what they said happened was he got put up against somebody who beat him or yeah. who, who was better than him. Got overpowered. And, right. And instead of trying to fight back, he just, he laid there and lost. Okay. So um, in March of 1982, Kurt left Don's house at his own insistence. Uh, in the next four years, he lived in 10 different homes with 10 different families, including his grandparents and Uncle Chuck, where he started taking guitar lessons with Warren Mason, who hmm. was part of the band with... His uncle. Um, Kurt says he learned everything he needed to know after one to two lessons. Um, Warren Mason said, uh, no. Yeah. It stretched out for months, but he was a very dedicated student. Yeah. He, he concentrated. He, he really wanted to learn. Yeah. Um, after transferring to Aberdeen's Weatherwax High School, he dropped out of all sports because now he's like a, a little fish in a big pond. Yeah. Um, this was his sophomore year, but because of this transfer and his decision to go to the school, he ended up moving back in with his mom. Mm. At this point, she was now drinking a lot. There's your alcoholism. Yeah. Dating a 22-year-old uh, oh, and would geez. buy beer for Kurt and his friends. Um, on March 29th, 1983, he attended his first concert, which is Sammy Hagar and Quarterflash. Uh, however, he decided later on in adulthood to say that Black Flag was his first concert. Who gives a shit? Who, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Um, what was your first concert, by the way? Uh, I think it was the B96 Summer Bash. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was hot. It was so hot my nails melted. Oh, jeez. Mm -hmm. You know what mine was? Green Day. Nope. That was my second. Oh. My first was Tom Petty. That's right. I did know that. And then we figured out we were at the same Aerosmith concert. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. I never went to Aerosmith. Yes, you Yes, you did. No, that was probably your other boyfriend. Oh, my God. Here we go. Here we go. I never went to Aerosmith. You didn't? No. Mm -mm. Are you sure? Uh, I'm pretty positive, babe. Why would I think that then? Uh, Go ahead, be a dick. Another boyfriend. Whatever. I, I don't know. Um, whatever. Uh, so that summer he saw the Melvins for the first time behind a Thriftway grocery store. Hmm. Um, he wrote in his journal, "quote This was what I was looking for." Hmm. Roger Buzz Osborne, who actually went to Kurt's high school, was in the Melvins and became a mentor, passing along punk rock records. So the bass player for the Melvins was Matt Lucan, uh, who Kurt knew from wrestling and Little League. Yeah. During his junior year of high school, he went from being, quote, cute to, quote, scary. Okay. Um, he grew his hair out and stopped washing it, which... <clears throat> oh, same. awesome. Cool. Yeah, same. I feel that. Yeah, all of us do. Yeah. Um, he wore homemade t-shirts with punk band names and wore a trench coat constantly. 
even if it was 90 degrees. Now people were like, oh, he wants to look cool. He actually was very self-conscious about how small he was. Mm-hmm. So he would layer clothing to look bigger. Yeah. So that's what the trench coat was. Yeah, he was a small guy. He was. And the stunt, you know, he didn't eat normally. And so, yeah. um, and there, I bring this up because it comes up later. He had an issue with his pubic hair. <laughs> like it didn't come in. Really? It came in later than other boys. And he wrote a lot about it in his journal. Wow. That he didn't have pubic hair. And then when he finally did notice he had pubic hair at 16, yeah. it was blonde. <laughs> and you couldn't see it anyways. So he was pissed. Wow. There's a reason I bring that up. Oh, okay. Note his pubic hair. <laughs> so, Fuck, I'd rather not have it. <laughs> um, he was obsessed about it. Wow. Yeah. Um, so... Kurt spent pretty much all day and night in his room. Uh, His mom had started dating Pat O'Connor, which uh, was tumultuous at best. Uh, Pat would constantly argue with Wendy about what he considered to be Kurt's inadequacies. That's Mm. a big word. Good job. Um, So Kurt obviously desperately wanted to not be a virgin anymore. Yeah. And after a party, he um, attempted to have sex with a girl that he had a crush on. Mm -hmm. But mom walked in. So he was uh, caught naked, um, oh, and Wendy man. told Kurt he needed to leave. Uh, um, she couldn't sucks. afford to lose Pat, so she chose him over Kurt. Mm. Um, so they actually went to one of the girls' houses, and he ended up sleeping with not the girl he had a crush on, but the friend. Mm-hmm. The drunk passed out friend. She wasn't drunk and passed out when they had sex. Yeah. So, um, so he left, uh, and he began telling people that he lived under Young Street Bridge. Um, this became the one part of Kurt's history that appeared almost everywhere. Really? Uh, his friend, Christ Novelslick, am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, said that this was greatly embellished. Quote, he never lived under that bridge. He hung out there, but you couldn't live on those muddy banks with the tides coming up and down. That was his own revisionism. His sister, Kim, said the same thing, basically saying, he fucking live under that bridge. Yeah. Um, Kurt told the story so often, though, that he must have begun to believe it himself. So after four months of being homeless, essentially, he moved back in with his dad. Desperate for something to grasp onto, he found religion. Mm-hmm. Um, him and his friend Jesse Reed regularly attended Central Park Baptist Church, and Kurt was soon baptized, um, saying he accepted Jesus Christ into his life. Wow. As soon as he found Jesus, he discarded his faith. <laughs> So, um, soon (laughs) being, yeah, soon being on a quote, anti-God thing. The Reeds, however, uh, decided to take Kurt in because he spent so much time at their house. They were Mm -hmm. like, just come on, maybe we can help you. Yeah. Everybody was in agreement. The all sets of parents were, were good. So he ended up moving in with them. Um, he did attempt to return to school several times, but he ended up dropping out of Weatherwax after learning he was short credits to graduate. He did enroll in Aberdeen's Continuation High School, but quickly dropped out of there, too. So, um, Kurt was asked to leave the Reeds when he kicked in a house window after being locked out. Damn. Jesse left with him. Um, They went to Jesse's grandparents' house, then moved into what they soon called the Pink Apartment. (laughs) Um, It was a shithole, obviously, but the walls were pink. And they fucking destroyed it. Why? Everywhere he lives, he destroys like, writing on the walls is very commonplace. You just grab a marker and jot shit down. Yeah. I will break your fucking hand. 
something's up. I mean, that's if you're destroying everything, everything you, you've yeah. got some kind of an issue. So it turned into a band house, basically, and they had jam sessions day and night. Um, Kurt was writing songs, uh, and now they were basically being loose, uh, basically, yeah, loosely based <laughs> on his life and uh, spam. Spam. He wrote a couple songs about spam. Okay. Yeah. Um, Kurt ended up kicking Jesse out after they got into a fight, and uh, he was evicted shortly after that. Ooh. In December of 1985, Kurt began rehearsing songs that he had written with Dale Crover on bass and Greg Hokanson on drums. They called this gathering fecal matter. Yep. <laughs> um, they broke up soon after without playing a gig. Mm. On September 1st of 1986, Wendy gave Kurt $200 to rent 1,000 and a half East 2nd Street in Aberdeen. Mm. So it was a house behind a house. Yeah. They said it was a shack. <laughs> so whatever. Um, him and his mom were actually growing closer with Kurt not being in the house. Mm. Uh, Matt Lucan from the Melvins moved in and this again became a band house. To pay the rent, though, Kurt worked as a maintenance man at the Polynesian Condominium Resort in Ocean Shores. And by working, he would fall asleep in rooms and raid the refrigerators. Hey, all right. Dude, why not? Yeah, getting paid to do that. Slept on the fucking bus on the way there. Slept on the bus on the way home. Fuck yeah. Rock on. I'm going to go fix this shower. Right? Come get me in an hour. Um, Kurt was constantly thinking about starting a band, spending endless hours trying to figure it out, and figured that if Buzz Osborne could do it, so could he. Mm. Um, In 1987, he would travel with the Melvins as a roadie, paying attention to everything. He practiced his guitar every chance he got and was asked by Buzz and Dale to jam with them at the closing of a show in Olympia. This would mark his debut performance in front of an audience. However, he did not play guitar, but he read poetry while the two... Uh, thrashed on their guitars. All right, rock on. Um, The year Kurt lived in the house was one of the longest and most extreme periods of his drug abuse. A friend said he was really into getting fucked up with any drug he could find, including inhalants. It didn't matter. Mm. I need a drink. Inhalants. Oh, and my nose. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Speaking of inhalants. I need, I need like a real fucking drink. Um, <laughs> so he left his resort job and was offered a job with a friend uh, laying carpet. Uh, the thought of serious work was a joke to him. And he was terrified of injuring his guitar playing hand. Saying, quote, these hands are too important to me. I could mess up my guitar playing career. Mm. Yeah. In spring, uh, Buzz announced he was moving to California. It was actually a ploy to get Lucan out of the band and he knew this because this was the same way that Buzz had Lucan get the previous drummer out of the band. Yeah. Um, quote, Kurt moved away from the Melvins artistically and emotionally that day. He began to outgrow Buzz as a role model. I don't know. Just It's fine. Um, is is that, that the dog? Yeah, he's right behind me. Is he growling? Probably. Because I hit the table or something. So, um, Kurt and Chris started playing with the neighborhood drummer named... Aaron Burkhard in an unnamed group. Stop it, Chance. This was actually the incubation of Nirvana. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was Kurt's first exploration of being a musical alpha male. Kurt and Matt came to blows and Matt ended up moving out. Dylan Carlson moved in. 1987, though, started off on a positive note for Kurt. And this is when Tracy Miranda became his girlfriend. Mm. 
Tracy, if you're listening to this, you're a saint. <laughs> you're a motherfucking saint. Putting up with Kurt. And I don't like, so her and Chris's girlfriend, Shelly, yeah. like, they made sure these guys showered and ate and like showed up when they were supposed to. And they like, I don't think they got enough credit for what they did. Really? Like they kept these guys in line. They, they managed them. They sold t-shirts at their show. Like they really just took care of them, you know? So Tracy, he had met two years prior outside of a Seattle punk club. She walked up to the car that him and Buzz were in drinking and he was so enamored, he didn't see the squad car and ended up arrested. Tracy would later say, quote, I had been flirting with him for quite a while. I think he had a hard time believing a girl actually liked him. He didn't, like, he didn't realize it. Yeah. You know, so she signified a huge marker in Kurt's path towards adulthood. She said that she decided to love him enough to ease his fears and make him love himself. In March of 1987, the band played a house party in Raymond. They still didn't have a band name, but some of the examples that Kurt came up with were Poo Poo Box, Designer <laughs> Drugs, and Whisker Biscuit. Nice. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a genius for you. <laughs> what the fuck? They began with uh, Downer, which was one of the first songs that Kurt ever wrote. It's a good song. Um, not that the audience noticed, but being their first ever public show, it was surprisingly professional. Every bit of the nirvana that would suit and conquer the scene was in that show that night. The tone, the attitude, the frenzy, the slightly off-kilter rhythms, remark- remarkably melodic guitar chords, the driving bass lines, and the hypnotizing focus of Kurt. Mm-hmm. However, the show ended in a chaotic shit show. Buzz liked to get drunk and climb stuff. <sighs> like, he just, he did. Okay. He, the first thing he would do, the first thing he did was he went into the bathroom to pee when there was a girl already in there peeing raided the medicine cabinet, and then doused himself in fake blood. Dude, what the fuck? I mean, yeah. What's with these guys? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, two months after that show, Kurt left Aberdeen for good, moving to Olympia with Tracy into a studio apartment. Tracy supported the couple working in the cafeteria of the Boeing airplane plant in Seattle. It provided a steady income and stolen food. Hmm. They also had a shit ton of pets. Like a lot. Really? Yeah. They had a bunny. Um, Who just everywhere. Just I'm not hopped a around. fan of bunnies. Yeah. Um, Tracy would leave Kurt to-do lists. He eventually got a short-lived job at Lemon's janitorial service, leaving him with no energy for the to-do list, uh, which created tension, obviously, with the couple. Despite this, Tracy was mothering, and Kurt called her, quote, the best girlfriend in the world. Mm. She really took care of him. Yeah. Um. Kurt was obsessed with all things gross and human bodily functions. Okay. It flooded his journal and he, like, I didn't even write down half the stuff he wrote because, good Lord. You know what else he was obsessed with? What? Flipper babies. Flipper babies? What is that? (laughs) Um, Babies born without arms. Oh, that's so bad. it, it It was a legit obsession of his. What? Yeah. Yeah, something's something's not right. Flipper babies. Yeah. I mean, he would draw like people, but they would have vaginas as heads. And it, babe, yeah, something's no. going on in his yeah, fucking brain. Some, something's not. Something's right. not okay in his brain. And uh, I have his journal that they published. His journals. Yeah. And if you, I mean, if you read that, fuck, 
like, fuck. Something's going <laughs> Something's on. Something's not right. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's not. I mean, be obsessed with whatever you want to be obsessed with. Yeah, to each his mean, own. I, but I mean, I get to the have level that he took and it, stuff like that. Oof. You know, but something's not right. That's that's a little much, babe. It was, um, yeah. I'll show you some of the stuff that I like earmarked in there. Okay. Um, so by the summer of 1987, the band was going strong, but still didn't have a name. Mm-hmm. So they were changing their names before every show, uh, calling themselves Throat Throat Oyster. <laughs> Uh, wait, I lost my place. How could I not find throat, throat oyster? Ted, Ed, Fred, and Skid Row. Uh, at, they used Skid Row at their first non-party gig, obviously not knowing about the other band and ended up changing it. Yeah. Um, Tracy and Chris' girlfriend, Shelly, like I said, acted as the band's press agents, managers, bookers, merchandise salespeople, as well as making sure that the boys were fed, dressed, and rehearsed. Jeez. <laughs> Love Buzz became their signature tune. Good song Which too. Chris had found on an album of a Dutch band called The Shocking Blue. Mm. It's not their song. Oh, really? Nope. Mm-mm. Oh. It's not their song. I didn't know that. Which was a big to-do later on because this was the first single that the label wanted to release and yeah. Kurt didn't want to cover being released as their first single. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was from a Dutch band named Did The Shocking Blue. That. Yep. So they began to play regularly at the CWT, which was actually a former porn movie house that Kurt yes. Smith said constantly smelled like urine. <laughs> um, yes. 1987 wound down with a drummer issue. Burkhart was now assistant manager of Burger King and didn't have time to play with the band anymore. Yeah, you gotta make those whoppers. Um, after placing an ad with no responses, they started playing with Dale Grover and started talking about making a demo. On January 23rd of 1988... The band went to Reciprocal, which is a small but legendary studio in Seattle. Yeah. In less than six hours, they had recorded and mixed nine and a half songs, and Kurt paid the bill of $152.44 in cash at the end. Nice. Grover left the band shortly after to move back to California, but recommended Dave Foster to take his place. Kurt finally came up with a name for the band and called it Nirvana, saying, quote, it means attainment of perfection. Yeah, it is a pretty badass. I have band the definition, name, isn't it? Yeah, I have the definition. Yeah, mm. you did a good job naming it. That's that's pretty so, badass. In Buddhism, Nirvana is the place reached when one transcends into the endless cycle of rebirth and human suffering by renouncing desire, following the eightfold path, and through meditation and spiritual practice, worshippers work to achieve Nirvana and thus gain release from the pain of life. Do you want to be a Buddhist? It sounds fucking great. Yeah, it does. Like, I want to look into it. Um, So Kurt considered himself a Buddhist at this time. However, his only practice of the faith faith was watching a late night TV show. (laughs) Whatever, dude. Yeah. Um, It was under the name Nirvana that the band gained attention in (laughs) Seattle. Hang on. Sorry, Leah walked in the door unannounced. Yeah. Shocking. Um, so Jack and Dino remixed the January recording session and gave it to three of his friends. One of, uh, which was Dawn Anderson, who was a writer for the rocket and she ran the fanzine backlash. Shirley Carlson, who was a volunteer DJ on KCMU, which was the university of Washington's radio station. And Jonathan Poneman, who was the co-owner of sub pop, which was a Northwest independent record label. Mm -hmm. This had a huge impact on Nirvana. 
Um, the minute Kurt had a demo in his hand, he began mailing them to record, record labels all around the country. He would later retell these events to suggest fame came without any prodding on his part, which obviously wasn't true. Right. Um, Poneman was able to book the band at the Vogue for what they would call Sub Pop Sunday showcases. Uh, at best, it was lackluster. I don't know why I spelled that wrong. Uh, Foster said, quote, we didn't really fuck up, but it was very intimidating because we knew it was for getting a record deal. Mm. However, uh, Pine called a few days later and suggested that they make a full record. Yeah. While rehearsing for this, Foster was in jail because he beat up uh, a mayor's kid. <laughs> so um, All right. they brought back Burkhart. Rock and roll. Yeah. But he ended up getting a DWI in Kurt's car, and they both were fired. Jesus. Chad Channing was then brought in. Um, On October 28th of 1998, Nirvana opened up for the band Butthole Surfers. Yep. They're awesome, dude. (laughs) I heard that, and I was like, I think I knew that, but what? Oh, you know their songs, too. I'll play them. I'm sure I do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So two days later, they ended up playing one of their most infamous shows at Evergreen's K-Dorm. Kurt played with a never-seen-before intensity, ended up smashing a guitar, and then just walked out. Like a drop-the-mic kind of thing. Oh, that's kind of cool. After complaining, Kurt never writes songs about her. Kurt wrote about a girl for Tracy. Though he never told her, and she didn't find out that it was about her until years after his death. That's a great song. Um, in late June of 1989, they left for their first major tour, which was a two-month schedule taking them across the U.S. Jason ended up throwing a drunk off the stage in New York. He was a guitar player that they brought on, and Kurt decided to fire him the next day. Now, Kurt doesn't actually, like, fire these people mm-hmm. or, like, invite them to play. He just stops calling them, or he just invites them to practice every day until they figure out, like, they're part of the band. <laughs> He's very non-confrontational. Yeah, so, I see that. Um, so, it said it here. Instead of actually telling him, though, Kurt canceled two weeks' worth of shows, said the tour was over, and never called Jason again. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, right. Sub Pop planned a European tour, and on October 20th of 1989, they arrived in London. Kurt expected fame and fortune, but instead was given a low-budget tour, playing 37 shows in 42 days in nine different nations. Holy shit. To which it was described as, quote, they were either phenomenal, phenomenal, or kind of atrocious. (laughs) (laughs) That is a um, lot, though. Holy shit. Um, One of the guys would puke. They played with uh, Tad. Mm -hmm. Am I saying that right, Tad? Yeah. The lead singer was like a 300-pound dude. I, who also I had know. GI issues and would vomit constantly. And <laughs> Kurt was like, he would hold the bucket and just get excited when he would throw up because he was obsessed with bodily functions. Dude, that's They weird. also would have to pull over so this guy could shit on the side of the road. Come over here, Chance. Um, you keep hitting something. He is. I'm not. So on January 19th of 1990, Nirvana opened up for the Melvins, okay. which was a big to-do. Um, this is when they discovered that they were now more popular than their mentors. So the next day they played a show in Tacoma earning $500, which was one of their biggest paydays to date. In 1990, Sub Pop's financial issues threatened to sink all of the bands, obviously on the record. They, Mm. they just constantly had financial issues. Yeah. At one point, um, one of the executives asked Kurt to borrow $200. Really? Yeah. Um, so Kurt ended up having to apply for jobs again. 
He didn't get any of the jobs, obviously. Uh, And in February, they left for a West Coast tour, their most successful yet. When he returned, he tried to rekindle the relationship with Tracy to no avail. Uh, So he was a fucking slob, obviously. And she would leave him to-do lists. And, you know, when he, he would lay around all night and watch TV and work on his art. And she supported them. So when he was gone, like, she would clean the fucking place. And, you know, so money issues and them, you know, being apart took its toll. Yeah. So, um, so now there's, there's different sort, different dates in different sources about when Kurt met Courtney Love. Yeah. Um, but on March 20th of 1990, he was at his house watching movies with a friend, um, getting high. And he spotted her in a movie called Straight to Hell. Really? Um, while on tour again, he called Tracy and said that maybe they should live apart for a while. Yeah. Again, non-confrontational, won't break up with her. Right. You know. Right. Um, in late May, Kurt decided that he no longer liked Chad's style, um, so he fired him. He also broke up with Tracy the same week. Uh, Toby Vale was now the object of his desire. They had met two years prior. Um, she could never love him the way Tracy did. And who, um, she, she would never need him. Yeah. I, I, listen, Tracy, shoot me an email. Like, I want to be your friend. <laughs> um, so Toby was part of like the, um, the feminism, like punk rock girls. We don't mm-hmm. need fucking anybody. Boyfriends were described as accessories to mm. her. Um, Kurt wanted a relationship with family intimacy, but Toby saw this as sexist. She didn't want it. Um, really? It was more of a friends with benefits thing, but he was he was obsessed with her. Yeah. Uh, they would, you know, hook up when they were together. They would casually have sex. They would have philosophical conversations, but they were never really, they never came out, so to speak, as a couple because that wasn't like a thing on the punk rock scene. You didn't date. Right. You didn't come out as a couple. So, like, his relationship with Tracy was unheard of. Right. Um. So, it really... And he ends up admitting that it was more of a, a friends with benefits thing. It was mm-hmm. more than what he thought of it. Um. The band ended up going through three more drummers before meeting 21-year-old Dave Grohl. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, R.I.P. Foo Fighters drum, uh, drummer. Yeah, isn't that fucking yeah. weird? Yeah. So... Man, mm-hmm. what a shame. So I want to look more into it because it sounds like from his tax screen, it was maybe an antidepressant overdose. overdose. Yeah. So the instance Kurt and Chris practiced with Dave, they knew they had found their final drummer. Yeah. Girls' He's first show. Yeah. You know. He is. Um, his first show was in Olympia's North Shore Surf Club. And he, like he, they thought he was the only one that could match Kurt's intensity. Yeah. Yeah. So, a week later, they left for Europe for another tour. Um, when back home, <clears throat> Grohl moved in with Kurt. And Grohl uh, took care of him. Jeez. He cleaned the apartment, and he washed Kurt's clothes, and he <laughs> made Fuck sure that. Um, And then Grohl started dating Kathleen Hanna, which was Toby's friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, while drunk, so they would just say, like, she was kind of like with Grohl, but they would say, let's go out with Nirvana tonight because yeah. they, they didn't give a fuck. Uh, while they were drunk, though, Kathleen spray painted Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit on Kurt's bedroom wall. 
She was referring to the deodorant that Toby wore, which, why are you wearing Smells Like Teen Spirit at 20? Yeah. Whatever. Never mind. Um, But she was implying that he was marked by her scent. He, however, thought that she was uh, giving a revolutionary slogan because they were talking about shit like that at the time and didn't know that she was talking about deodorant for months. (laughs) Um, Labels at this point were throwing themselves at Nirvana. Really? Um, after there's a lot of back and forth with a lot of labels, and mm. if I would have put it all in, you would have fucking kicked me in the head. Okay. So <clears throat> after years of anticipation, Kurt became filled with self doubt. To add to that, Toby broke up with him in November. Mm. He was absolutely devastated. Um, but bad for him, good for us, because in the next four months, he would end up writing six of his most infamous songs. No kidding. Filled with rage and depression. Yeah. They were all about Toby. Really? Yep. Every one of them. Um, shortly after their breakup, Kurt began obsessing about a new figure in his journal, heroin, mm. which he had named Heroin <laughs> as a female. <clears throat> Weird. So Kurt would say that he first tried heroin in Aberdeen in the late 80s. Yeah. His friends contest this due to the fact that nobody in their circle did heroin. And Kurt had an immense fear of needles. Mm. So he was having his stomach issues at the time. It was like burning heartburn, vomiting blood, couldn't figure out what was going on. So many doctors um, finally got into a doctor and they wanted to draw blood and he left. What? (laughs) Because he didn't want to get stuck with a needle. Wow. And he he says this like in an interview. So he had a fear of needles, obviously. Um, So more than likely, the first time he tried it was in uh, November of 1990 in Olympia with a drug dealer because he was brokenhearted over Toby. And they based this off the fact that he called Chris the next day to tell him, like, Mm -hmm. I tried fucking heroin. And Chris is like, don't be an idiot kind of thing, you know? (laughs) Okay, Um, Yeah. So Kurt promised to use only occasionally. And for the most part, he kept his promise. Um, In December, or excuse me, December 11th of 1990, Kurt again sought medical attention for his stomach and was diagnosed with IBS. Um, The band ended up signing contracts with a couple different labels and kind of worked that out and started touring. Now, they were huge in the UK. Oh, really? Huge. They were bigger in the UK than they were here first. Mm. Um, In early June of 1991... Nevermind, the album yeah. Never Ni- Nevermind was named, and another tour started to promote it. Um, in July, Grohl moved out, and Kurt started shooting heroin every chance he could. Jeez. By September of 1991, Nirvana, Nirvana had finally conquered Seattle. Kurt would say he knew he was famous when he signed autographs for two friends that he went to high school with. On September 24th, 1991, Nevermind was actually finally released. Yeah. It uh, entered the Billboard charts at 144, but quickly rose. Yeah. Um, DGC, their record label, underestimated the sales and were often sold out of the record. The video for Smells Like Teen Spirit, the infamous song that he wrote, mm-hmm. that he thought was a revolutionary slogan, that was deodorant, right. that he figured out after he released the song. <laughs> afterwards and it actually he wasn't sure if he was going to release the song he started humming it at one of his shows really and somebody who listened to it was like dude you got to get that yeah the fuck out there um so this became a regular rotation on mtv yeah. when mtv actually played fucking music videos oh man I miss um it. the first show it was on was the 120 minutes mm-hmm. um 
So this skyrocketed the group. Yeah. Huge. Like this was this was it for oh, them. Oh yeah. Um their shows began to sell out. Mm-hmm. So on October twelfth of nineteen ninety one, Courtney and Kurt actually meet up in Chicago. Really? Now she was there to see Billy Corgan, who she was long distance dating. Yeah. Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, when she got to his apartment, she found that his ex girlfriend was there. It was now his new girlfriend. There was a fight. Shoes were thrown. She left. Really? <laughs> she ended up catching. Wow, the, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, catching the like ass end of a Nirvana show. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time they like met each other, he tackled her. Like they wrestled. So he did it again. <laughs> yeah, he did it again here. Um, they ended up obviously they hooked up in Chicago. Yeah. So the two connected emotionally and bonded over their troubled upbringings, which I don't know her upbringing, but his wasn't all that fucking troubled. No. And from what I could see, hers was divorced parents shuttled between the two parents. Whoa. Wah. Yeah. (laughs) So um, both his friends and her friends actually felt that the other was slumming by dating the other one. Because at this point, Courtney was in whole, obviously, and she was a little more famous than he was, but then they kind of skyrocketed and she didn't want to be known for dating a rock star. She wanted to be known for her. Her, yeah, Um, her band. I'm not a fan of Hole. (laughs) I I like a couple songs and that's about it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of her. Yeah. Every time I think of her though, I think of the movie The People versus uh, Larry Larry Flint. Flint. I thought she did pretty good I thought she was great in that and she dies in the hot tub. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of reminiscent of her own life, yeah. actually. Um, so Kurt hated being on the road and complained constantly. His biggest complaint now was of the fret boys that were showing up at the shows because they saw him on MTV. Mm-hmm. Um, after playing at a pro-choice event, Courtney and Kurt shot up together for the first time. Wow. Now, according to Courtney, I will say that a lot, mm-hmm. according to Courtney... She had rules with the drug use. She never shot up because she had a fear of needles. So he shot her up the first time and she never did hard drugs two days in a row. Okay. So just saying, throwing it out there. Okay. By this time though, heroin was no longer recreational for Kurt. It was part of his daily routine. Several months prior, Kurt had had written in his journal, which I earmarked if you want to read it, um, that he decided to become a junkie saying that heavy opiates were all that relieved his stomach pain. Wow. Okay. He chose it. Flat out. His own words. I mean, I get it. Opiates are, are fucking strong, dude. I'm, so, I'm still on them right now. Um, Chris, Chris called bullshit saying that the stomach pains were probably exacerbated by the heroin and he used it as an excuse to stay loaded. Um, on another European tour, Kurt pissed off the UK <laughs> um, <clears throat> and was amused with himself at all the fuckery. This is what I was talking about earlier. So... He's on a live show and he steals the mic from the host and basically yeah. says that uh, Courtney Love is the best fuck ever. <laughs> yeah. The UK was not happy. Um, yeah. He was actually semi-dating a girl at the time yeah. who flew out to Europe to see him and was backstage at this show. Oh. And this is how she fucking found out. Dude, yeah. what the fuck? Um, he was screwing up performances on purpose. Yeah. Um, like the one I was telling you about earlier, he um, he sang "Smells Like Teen Spirit" slow, like Jim Morrison, and like yeah. completely fucked up the song and pissed off his his managers and the record label. Yeah, he did that repeatedly 
Because he Why? could. Because he could. Because he could. That yeah, was literally but, the only reason. You wanted this. You fought for this. And, and then you, then you piss it on it? Yeah. See? I, I, I don't understand that. Mm-mm. That something is going on. Yeah. Something is not right that, in your That's head. like, that's, not to use abandonment as an example, but that's fear of, like, it's an actual technical term, fear of, like, something good happening. Yeah. Because you're constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. So if you fuck it up yourself, you don't have to worry about it. It's like breaking up with somebody before they break up with you right. kind of thing. So... Um, in December of 1991, Kurt and Courtney became engaged while lying in a bed at a London hotel. Now, hmm. they would also fuck up their hotel rooms. Um, again, spray painting on the walls. What? They wouldn't let um, maids in. Days of room service would be stacked up. Um, they Fucking were known swaps. most for putting cigarette butts out on the furniture and the carpet. Dude. So, they're gross. Yeah. They're fucking Gross. Even when they were millionaires, like, they lived in filth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he was a hoarder. He collected the weirdest fucking shit, like doll heads, and he was a fucking hoarder. Yeah, that's Um, right. So on January 11th, 1992, this was a big day. Um, Kurt could not stay awake during a photo shoot for Saturday Night Live uh, with photographer Michael Levine. He shot up so much heroin that morning, being nervous that he really just couldn't make it through the day. Yeah. Um, so that same day, Nevermind hit number one on the Billboard Billboard charts, knocking off Michael Jackson. Wow. And they played Saturday Night Live, becoming the first grunge band to ever play on the show. And I think the host was Charles Barkley. Really? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I didn't even think to look at that. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm 90% sure that's... Who the host was. So, Kurt skipped out on the after party, opting instead to get um, high with Courtney. Uh, per Courtney, she found him several hours later in the early morning, unconscious and presumably having OD'd. Jeez. Um, she threw water on her fiancé, punched him in the solar plexus to get him to breathe regularly. Okay. Yeah. Good job. Uh, later that afternoon, he was in an interview um, basically saying he didn't do drugs and also said, quote, at times I forget I'm even in a band. I'm so blinded by love. I'm just so overwhelmed by the fact that I'm in love on this scale. I don't know how my music's going to change. Yoko Ono. Yeah. The fuck? Like, yeah. Yeah. Dude. Um, okay. So, shortly after this, they learned that Courtney was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, on the way to Honolulu for two scheduled shows, uh, Courtney and Kurt decided to get married. They wanted a Valentine's Day wedding, but uh, the prenup that Kurt had suggested was not ready yet. Now, some sources say that Courtney suggested the prenup because mm. she anticipated becoming more famous than him. Oh, really? Um, but... In the sources that I read, he was strongly encouraged by his manager, John Silva, to get the prenup because he never liked Courtney in the first place. So, I don't know whose idea the prenup was. 
in, in in some sources they say Courtney it was her idea yeah. in other sources they said it was his idea because he was pushed by his manager so yeah. either I mean, way I, I get it right you know you both are rock stars I, right there's no I reason to not yeah now Courtney would say at the time that they decided to get married and sign the prenup they were fucking poor like they hadn't gotten any money from royalties or anything like that yet oh really um they were both super worried also about the effects of heroin use um, with Courtney being pregnant. Put and your mic up because it's like ready to fall down. Yeah, there you better. go. Sorry, people. Um, yeah, it and was they, like ready to sorry. fall off. They, they quickly detoxed. Um, now, there are way more outlets than I thought. There are doctors that will detox you in a hotel room in three days. Really? Kurt said he slept for three days, and everybody else was like, no, he pretty much puked and shit for three days straight. Yeah. Um, Courtney obviously was on heroin, too, and she had to detox in a different manner so she didn't stress out herself and the baby. Um, and let me just say, detoxing is fucking hell. Mm-hmm. When I detoxed off of fentanyl, mm-hmm. babe, I felt like I was on another planet. Oh, I know. It was so fucking yeah. weird mm-hmm. and just, you don't feel yourself. You feel like you're on another planet. Like your body is just mm-hmm. fucking weak. And the amount of heroin that he was doing was, for his size, was obscene. Yeah. Like junkies that he would shoot up with were worried about how much he was shooting up. Yeah. So now at this point, um, <clears throat> Oh, well, not yet. Hang on. So they did end up getting married on a Waikiki beach on February 24th of 1992. It was a non-denominational ceremony performed by a non-denominational pastor they found in the Yellow Pages. Oh, cool. Um, Kurt flew Dylan Carlson in to be the best man. He was one of eight guests. Um, She wore a lace dress that had once been owned by... um, Fran- oh, fuck, I forgot the actress's name now. It was an actress that Kurt really resonated with because of her mental health issues and everything. Her first name was Frances. Yeah. Um, he wore blue-green pajama pants and had a hand-sewn Guatemalan purse on. Uh, oh. Someone said he looked more like a cancer patient than a groom. <laughs> so, um, however, Kurt had banned Shelly from the wedding. Really? Because supposedly she was gossiping about Courtney. Mm. So without Shelly, Chris doesn't come. Yeah. They had at one point broken up, got back together, broke up, you know, while on tour, got back together and they ended up married. Okay. So they left Hawaii the next day thinking that the band had broken up at this point. Yeah. Because why would you not invite him out of the eight people to your fucking wedding? (laughs) Right. So... It would actually be another four months before uh, before Nirvana would perform in public again. Uh, in the spring of 1992, Kurt did nothing involving the band and refused to schedule future shows. It's implied in several sources um, that Kurt and Courtney continued to use throughout the pregnancy. I'm not saying that they did. I'm saying it's implied in many sources yeah. um, that she was traveling down a slippery slope during the pregnancy. Um, By March, the band managers decided to have their first intervention with Kurt. 
he was sent to an inpatient chemical dependency program on the advice of a interventionalist who apparently was like drooling over him at the time. Yeah. Um, at first they said it helped. He appeared healthy and sober, but he ended up leaving treatment early. Hmm. My mouth is dry. I'm sorry. Goop, 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 mm-hmm. goop, goop. On April 16th of 1992, um, they made their first appearing on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah. The article downplayed the tension between the band. Um, and one of the biggest things that they had an issue with was Kurt wanted the royalty percentages to be adjusted and retroactive. Yeah. Um, he had decided at the beginning that he wanted them equally split. Yeah. Um, but then he said later on that he wanted them, he wanted it to be 75-25 in his favor and he wanted it to be retroactive. Um. Chris and Dave said that it wasn't so much that he wanted the royalty percentages changed. It was the fact that he wanted it retroactive Mm -hmm. that made them feel betrayed. Really? Um, They blamed Courtney. Flat out. They publicly blamed Courtney. Many newspapers publicly, you know, blamed Courtney. Yeah. Um, By May, Kurt was using, again, uh, he was using about $400 a day. His stomach pains and thoughts of suicide also returned, stating, quote, I instantly regained that familiar burning nausea and decided to kill myself or stop the pain. I bought a gun but chose drugs instead. On August 4th of 1992, Kurt checked into his third rehab at Cedar sinai Hospital and a 60-day intensive detox program. Three days later, Courtney checked into a different wing of the same hospital under an assumed name. Okay. According to leaked Medical records, who they were supposedly leaked by, again, an, addic- an addiction specialist doctor who she ended up suing. Yeah. Um, according to leaked medical records, which their medical records, yeah. their are legit medical records, she was being given uh, prenatal vitamins, vitamins and methadone, okay. which means she was still detoxing. Yeah. So the baby is due first week of September. Mm-hmm. This was in August. Jesus. Um, She, at one point, was having false contractions and ended up uh, on, quote-unquote, bed rest. Yeah. With complicated pregnancy and emotional exhaustion. I'm emotionally exhausted. I am, too. What the (laughs) fuck? Like, that's a legit thing that people can check into rehab for. Why the fuck aren't we going? Shit. Seriously. Yeah, I know. I'll meet you in the middle. Right? Let's go. Fuck yeah, dude. Rock and roll. So... She's obviously, she's in the same hospital. Yeah. Um, so why do I feel like I didn't? What? I don't know. Um, I feel like I'm thinking of things in my head that I read that I didn't read uh, or didn't write down. So she ended up going into labor. Despite being on bed rest, she grabbed her IV pole and went down to the chemical dependency wing and dragged Kurt out of bed saying, I'm not fucking doing this alone. Fuck you, let's go. Yeah. Um, he passed out as the baby was crowning. <laughs> he was throwing up and passing out the whole time. <laughs> and she's like, fuck you. Like, I'm pushing the human out, and I'm rubbing your fucking stomach? Really? Which I, I agree yeah, with. Yeah, I um, 
On August 18, 1992, Frances Bean Cobain was born at 7.48 in the morning. Uh, her first name, Frances, in some sources it says she was named after the actress he liked. In other sources it says she was named after a band member in the Vaselines. I don't, yeah. And um, her I middle name is Bean because they she had several ultrasounds mm. to check on the baby. One reason was obviously because of the chemical dependency. Yeah. The other reason was that Kurt was terrified that she was going to come out a flipper baby. <laughs> oh my I God. Swear to God. Dude, what the fuck? But he would call her the Bean. Look at the Bean. Yeah. That's why her middle name is Bean. Okay. Um, so the next day, Kurt escaped the hospital, got high on heroin, and came back with a loaded 38 pistol. Nice. He reminded Courtney of the vow that they made, that if it appeared that they would lose their baby for any reason, they would kill themselves in a double suicide. While Courtney was in the hospital, she received a faxed version of an uh, article that was to appear in Vanity Fair mm -hmm. that she had given a little while earlier, yeah. where she admitted to using heroin in the first couple months of her pregnancy. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let's see. Well. She would later say that she was misquoted, and then she would later say that um, she didn't know she was pregnant when they were when she did the heroin. No. Okay. So, um, Courtney was obviously nervous about the Vanity Fair article, but not like Kurt. Um, she, according to Courtney, she grabbed the gun and said, oh, "Okay, well, fuck you," and gave it to a buddy to get rid of. Right. Uh, the following day, he snuck a drug dealer into the hospital and OD'd in a labor and delivery room. Oh, my God, dude. What with the you, drug dealer. What are you doing? Who was like, should we get a nurse? Like, there's a lot of nurses out there. Should we go get a nurse? Yeah. I guess if you're going to OD, that's... That's the, the best place to fucking that's do it. the place to do it. It's like, not to be a dick, but like when you were laying down and you're like, I'm going to pass out. Go ahead. Right. You're not fucking going anywhere. Right. You're fine. Pass out. Um... So a close source to the couple had actually given several quotes to Vanity Fair concerning Courtney's drug use and the baby. Two days after the birth, a social worker with the L.A. County Department of Children's Services showed up at the hospital room with the article. Um, the county petitioned to take Francis and declare Kurt and Courtney unfit. Wow. When Courtney left the hospital, Francis had to stay for, quote, observation, leaving a few days later in the care of a nanny. Wow. So she was essentially taken away from them. Um, on August 24th, 1992, they had their first hearing. Uh, they did get separate lawyers, just in case they one tried to, they were pitted against each other by yeah. county. Um, the judge ordered supervised visits, 30-day rehab for Kurt, and random drug screens for both. Man. They needed to find somebody to take this baby so yeah. the state would not take the baby. Right. They don't like their family, pretty much. Yeah. They finally convinced Courtney's half-sister, Jamie Rodriguez, yeah. to come and take the baby. Um, Jamie hated Courtney, and they had to bribe her to pretend like she fucking gave a shit. Wow. Yeah. Um, I didn't know all this. Yeah. 
Then, uh, so a friend of a Gold Mountain executive was hired as a nanny. Her name was Jackie. Uh, she had no experience being a nanny, had never changed a fucking diaper, mm-hmm. but took eight months of primary responsibility and custodial custody of Francis. Wow. Um, they ended up buying an apartment for Jamie and Jackie, which is so funny. I just realized that. Oh, yeah. Um, hey. Next to Kurt and Courtney so they could still see the baby, but they yeah. had to be supervised visits. Um, Jamie was very strict. She wouldn't let them near the fucking baby. Yeah. Like, ever. So, um, Kurt ended up, uh, oh wait, um, so two days after the hearing, Kurt left for Europe to headline the 1992 Reading Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did return to rehab at Exodus in Marina del Rey on September 2nd of 1992. Um, now Jamie has, uh, custodial custody of Francis for, for three months. Yeah. She ends up going back home, but Jackie stays on as the primary caregiver. Um, October 24th of 1992, Nirvana came back together to work on their next album. Uh, in November of 1992, Courtney and Kurt moved into the Four Seasons Olympic Hotel. They were there for two months, rang up a $36,000 bill, and then were kicked out. What? They would eventually be kicked out of every luxury hotel in Seattle. Um, Why not buy a house? Yeah. He had no credit. Still. He had no credit at this point, and that comes up later, but, um... So they eventually started a damage control campaign um, of sorts, encouraging interview requests from sympathetic writers. Yeah. Because, you know. Uh, his to ma- get money? No, to like do damage control about oh, the baby situation. okay. So, yeah. I gotcha. You didn't know any of this? No. Oh, that makes me so happy. Um, his managers actually encouraged him to do an authorized biography Ooh. as like damage control. Um. So the second week of November, Kurt did a photo shoot for Monk, saying that he would do whatever they wanted as long as they shut off their phones and didn't answer the door. Courtney had called five times already looking for him. So. Wow. This is kind of where it starts going downhill, I guess. Yeah. Um, By mid-November, the courts had relaxed their restrictions and Jamie left. Jackie continued... Um, to be the primary caregiver and impose rules and kept the baby away from the couple when they were high. So they're both using a gun. Um, She would take Francis to Kurt after he said he wanted to see her, then quickly move in to remove her when Kurt wasn't capable of even fucking feeding her because he would fall asleep. Um, She did say, though, when they were sober, they were affectionate and doting parents. Mm -hmm. Um. In January of 1993, they played in Brazil, and Kurt was described as depressed and suicidal. They checked into a high-rise hotel in Rio, and he threatened to jump out the window after having a fight with Courtney. Um, They tried moving rooms, and every time he would come by a balcony, he would make an attempt to jump. So they ended up finding a one-story, like, shitbag motel. That he stayed in. See, this dude is... Something's wrong. He's mentally... Yes. Um, not there. So he he was going through withdrawals at this point, unable to use under the watchful eyes of and his staff. With, withdrawals will do that shit, too. Mm-hmm. You remember mm-hmm. when I oh, yeah. when I withdraw. Because you want I it mean, to end. You, yeah. You, yep. It, um, it was so fucking terrible. You just want everything to stop. Right. right. So uh, the term, quote, I hate myself and I want to die... It's a great song, by the way. It, it did end up being a song. Oh, yeah. He wanted it's to name badass. their album that, In Utero. 
Yeah. That was originally supposed to be I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. Yeah, that's a and badass song. Chris talked yeah, him I, out of it. If I'm not mistaken, I think that song is on the Beavis and Butthead experience. You would know that. I would not. Yeah. Um, Chris finally talked him out of that um, because he said it would be opening themselves up to lawsuits. Well, it came out. Um, well, no, the album oh, being named yeah. that. So, but no, that song came out, and it's badass. It was in his journal, like, obsessively, um, along with an unlimited number of entries detailing his self-hate. Man, that's Something crazy. is wrong. Yeah. Like, something's... <laughs> and the drug use is not helping. No. It's, it's exacerbating. Yeah. And <sighs> he... <sighs> I don't know. What? I, he he did. He was obviously self medicating. Oh yeah. The people around him, though, what the fuck were you doing? Right. What were you doing? They're not doing anything. What were you? They're not doing anything to help. So let's take out his his drug use for a second. Um, he would leave his journals out, and at one point, Dave Grohl's girlfriend said that she read them, and she was disturbed. And knew that something was fucking wrong with him. Then do something about Thank it. Thank you. So people had read his journals. He he wasn't secret about them. Right. And the things that he wrote in them, I mean, if that's not a fucking cry for help, I, yeah. the shit that he wrote could be written on 17 different fucking petitions. Yeah. Uh, you know? So. What ugh. a shame. Yeah. Um, so they ended up obviously choosing in utero. In February of 1993, the band was flown to Minnesota to begin their album. They figured Minnesota would kind of, um, like, be blah. Yeah. They wouldn't be excited. Which is true. <laughs> um, they finished 12 days later and then set their pants on fire while they were still wearing them. What? Yeah. And poured beer on themselves to get it out. Rock and roll, dude. Take your pants off. <laughs> then set them on fire. What well, is going on? And they would they would travel to the Mall of America, which Mall was an hour away. Badass um, place. So the first week of March, the couple moved in to a home on Lakeside Avenue Northeast in Seattle. Um, soon after the move, the case with DCS came to an end. Courtney knew that moving out of state would allow would would essentially force their hand at ending the case yeah. because they couldn't enforce their laws on them in Seattle. I'm surprised they let them move. Yeah, I am too. If they even asked to move, I don't know. A social worker did come out from L.A. to observe the home and Francis and, mm. you know. Um, on March 25th, 1993, Francis was legally returned to her parents' unsupervised care. Which, who the fuck did that? Um, Jackie, at this point, decided to leave. And Courtney hired Michael Kelly DeWitt, a 22-year-old former whole roadie, as the nanny. Okay. <laughs> um, they also hired Iris Ber Bernstein, who was a friend of theirs, mother part-time. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. Right. Um, in Utero had yet to be released, uh, and it needed to be made more radio-friendly, apparently. Mm -hmm. And he was he said he was okay with it, but he really wasn't. He was pissed about it. Um. The first Sunday in May, 911 was called. PD found Kurt on the floor babbling about Hamlet. Officers observed, quote, symptoms associated with an overdose of a narcotic. Per Courtney, Kurt had injected approximately $30 to $40 of heroin at a friend's house. When she confronted him, he locked himself in an upstairs bedroom. 
She threatened to call 911 or his family. She ended up calling Wendy, his mom. Um, they, his mom and his sister got in the car, drove the two and a half hours. By the time they got there, he was puking and whatever, and he didn't want 911 called. Yeah. Courtney threw water on him, walked him around, and eventually gave him Narcan. Okay. So now at this time... Surpr- Narcan was, was a thing then? No. It was illegally obtained... Oh. To keep okay. in their house for instances such as this. Wow. Uh, but I, I didn't even know Narcan was around. Then. Oh, yeah. It was a drug then. But okay. it wasn't like now you can go to fucking Walgreens and get it. But yeah. No, it was illegally obtained because they had like corrupt doctors and pharmacists and they could get whatever they wow. wanted. Um, But uh, you eventually gave him Narcan? Like I kind of have a problem with this. Yeah. I'm going to splash water on your face and hope it works. You're almost like torturing him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, like okay, let me waiting ju- for him for his last last breath. Yeah. And then, oh, okay. Let me, let me just now I'll give him throw this, this out there to everybody listening. Um, cold water does not reverse an overdose. <laughs> Please stop throwing your friends in the shower or in buckets of ice or putting ice water down their pants. Doesn't it is not shit. going to reverse the heroin. We do. Right. (laughs) Not cold water. Then you just make them shiver because they start sweating. Right. The best thing you could do for an overdose is what? Turn their head so they don't... Hope they don't fucking choke on their own vomit and call the paramedics. Yeah. And now... roll them over just on their side. You want to put them on their left side, like with their arm up. It's recumbent recovery position. But um, cold water doesn't work. Yeah. I see that a lot in movies. I see it a lot in real life. <laughs> in real, we, yeah, I could, I, I could see. We put ice on him because we thought it would wake him up. Did yeah. it wake him up? No. Don't. Because then I get wet and I'm angry. And it's just, it's bad. Just stop pouring water on these people. It does not work. Okay. Um, the more you know. Oh, my God. So she eventually gave him Nurkan. Jesus, fuck. Uh, the summer of night. So I don't know at that point why they even called 911. Because when... She had already given him the Narcan, which clearly she didn't have enough if they found him babbling about Hamlet. It says in the police report that he was um, laying on the floor, obviously babbling about Hamlet, but he was conscious and able to answer questions. So um, in the summer of 93, that he was back to daily use with obscene amounts. Um, Courtney was trying to get clean using a psychic. Oh, come on. I put that in there for you. Babe. I don't oh, I don't know. Lord. Um, and Kurt would refuse to pay the psychic because he's you. like, this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking high and even I know this is bullshit. I'm with Kurt. Um, So she ended up supposedly, per Courtney, she stopped using and started going to NA meetings and he would tease her about the NA meetings, mm-hmm. basically calling her a quitter. Um, but then he encouraged her to go because he realized he could shoot up while she was gone. Yeah. Uh, so on the 1st of June, they had another intervention to which he was in his room when everybody got there. Courtney went to get him out of his room. They got into a screaming match. He grabbed a marker and wrote on the wall, quote, none of you will ever know my true intent. That's interesting. Yes. Um, nobody asked him either, apparently. <laughs> he basically said fuck you went down in the basement with a friend and got high um he began to increasingly isolate himself in a deep state of depression self-medicating with drugs 
On June 4th, 1993, Courtney called the police uh, after a physical altercation. She said that she threw a glass of juice in his face and that he pushed her. Uh, in reality, she threw the entire juicer at his head Jesus. and he pushed her on the ground. Um, they argued about who was going to go to jail because they both wanted to go because it would be a good story. Officers ended up seizing a large collection of ammunition and guns. Um, and Courtney said that the fight started over crack. Kurt was threatening to do crack because it was the one drug that would piss Courtney off the most, according to her. Okay. Um, Kurt was released three hours later after paying a $950 uh, bond, and the charges were dropped. On July 1st, 1993, Hole played their first show in months preparing for a tour in England. Uh, Courtney said on stage that the story in the Seattle newspaper about the domestic violence wasn't true, and Kurt showed up shit-faced having to be held up. Uh, in the crazy logic of addiction, Kurt seemed better on drugs, more stable. Well, he was able to function better almost. Um, well, and Chris I'm, said... Or, I'm able to function better on drugs. Yeah, uh, a friend of his said, really, like, you can do what you want to get him off, but until he hits an emotional rock bottom... He's not going right. to change. Saying, quote, he didn't have any reason to not do drugs. No. So that summer, Kurt's addiction doctor died in his office in the middle of an investigation for gross negligence and unprofessional conduct. What? This is the one that would write him. There was a drug that this doctor would write him. It was a very controversial drug, and he would write it, they said, by the curtain to Kurt. What, what was controversial? I, I can't remember. The, it's, a, it's a long name. Um, okay. It mimicked... Basically opiates. It was it was almost a methadone of sorts, but it was more dangerous. Okay. Um, and he was he that's what he was in uh, under investigation for for this particular drug. Mm. Um, they said they ruled the death of an that he died of a heart attack. His son, however, came out and publicly said that his dad was addicted to the same drugs that he was prescribing to people, and he uh, most likely overdosed on them. Mm. Uh, in July of nineteen ninety three. Kurt OD'd again. Less than three hours later, he was giving an interview denying any drug use. Oh, my God. Um, in Utero was finally released in the UK on September 14th and in the US on September 21st. It entered the charts in the US and the UK at number one. Yep. However, Walmart and Kmart refused to carry the album because of the song Rape Me and the back cover photo, which was uh, fetuses, yeah. I believe. Uh, Kurt eventually agreed to do revisions so they would because that's where most of record sales happen, his Walmart and Kmart. Yeah. So it was shocking that they reached number one without the help of Walmart and Kmart. Yeah. So that's why he ended up that's, revising it. Wow. Um, he began 1993 saying he wasn't planning on touring at all. He was pressured by management but also wanted to make more money. On September 25th, 1993, they had their second appearance on Saturday Night Live. At this point, they had added a cello player and former Germs guitarist George Ruthenberg, known as Pat Smear. Yep. In the, or excuse me, the In Utero tour began in Phoenix, Arizona. It was the largest scale tour for Nirvana. And during the tour, uh, Kurt sat down for an interview with Rolling Stone. He talked about his depression, family, fame, and stomach problems saying, quote, I was as schizophrenic as a wet cat that's been beaten. You're schizophrenic? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, 
Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Talking about his stomach pains. He said when they were at their worst, quote, I wanted to kill myself every day. I came very close many times. Uh, He also said that him and Courtney intended to give Francis as much love and support as they possibly could. Kurt um, agreed to do Unplugged. Yeah. Which was amazing. Fucking Um, fucking a right it was. I guess with MTV, like there was always like a a pissing contest. Mm -hmm. He was terrified to do Unplugged. Yeah. Because he was afraid people wouldn't like him. Really? Yes. So, um... They fought about it back and forth for a little while. He finally agreed to do it. And it really wasn't unplugged. Right. Because they still used instruments, but like used the brush instead of a drumstick. Yeah. Um, That's what he agreed to. So he didn't show up for a lot of the rehearsals, but he showed up for the show in withdrawals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nirvana's crew told the manager at the time that he basically, he quote, needed help, which was he needed heroin to get through the show. Um, someone suggested Valium, and an MTV employee was sent to a corrupt pharmacist to get it. Upon returning with it, it was handed to uh, somebody with Nirvana, and they said, and I want you to remember this, earmark this. No, that's too strong for him. He needs five milligrams of Valium. So whatever they brought back was probably tens. Yeah. So 10 milligrams of Valium is too strong for Kurt. They know this. Earmark that. Okay. Okay. Um, Eventually, a separate messenger showed up with a delivery Kurt had arranged himself. He was terrified that nobody would clap for him. He Mm. he was terrified. That's why he never looked up. Really? He asked the manager to arrange the front row with people that knew him and liked him. And he, even after the show, was worried that they didn't like him. The manager ended up saying, like, they thought, they think you're Jesus fucking Christ at this point. Um. So they wanted, he wanted the setup like a funeral. So that's what they did. Mm -hmm. Um, His single greatest moment on stage was when he sang Penny Royalty alone. Mm -hmm. He asked the other band members if they were going to play with him. And Dave Grohl said, basically, you're on your own. Yeah. Um, On the day of Unplugged, Kurt also revealed his stomach problems were back. Whatever. Um, He again went through the Dr. Roulette unknown diagnosis. Um. It, Ten days later in Atlanta, he hit an all-time physical low with debilitating stomach pain. Uh, Kurt's relationship with his managers had deteriorated with the exception of Danny Goldberg, whose wife happened to be uh, the attorney for Kurt, Courtney, and Nirvana. Ooh, um, many thought it wasn't within Kurt's best interest, but he trusted them enough to name them as guardians in an unsigned uh, last will and testament. Wow. He never uh, he never signed it. Um, oh, Okay. Around Christmas, Kurt tried his own self-police detox, being told by a doctor that his addiction had progressed to the point of getting sober or it would mean certain death. In early January of 1994, they moved to this home, uh, 171 Lake Washington Boulevard East in Seattle. And it was a beautiful home. Gorgeous. In in Seattle, but it was, they lived in filth. They did. Michael Stipe was their next door neighbor, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, but that was only, like, notoriety. It was a very, like, uppity neighborhood. Yeah. But it was, like, old money. It yeah. wasn't famous people. Right, So, right. Um, So, Kurt had a month off before the In Utero tour was supposed to head to Europe. His friend Dylan was often at the house. He was the only friend allowed at that house. And the only reason Courtney allowed him in the house was because he acted as drug runner for both of them, mm. each telling him to not tell the other. Yeah. 
Um, at this point, Kelly, the, the nanny, the na- the 22-year-old boy nanny, <laughs> yeah. uh, was heavily into cocaine. Oh. Yeah. Surprising. I, I picture him as, okay, so um, this is what I picture in my head. On Friends? No. Um, no. <laughs> you have a nanny? Um, what, is, what is the movie? I don't, I don't know. Oh, my God. Rough Night. Okay. The one um, stripper who shows up dressed as a cop. Like, that's what I picture Kelly as. I have no idea what he looks like, but that's what I picture him as. Yeah. So everybody get that in their mind. He's I, I see him walking around the Cobain house. Yes. Like, yes. Um, what's the one from uh, O.J. Simpson? Um, uh, Kato Kato, yeah, who just did fucking nothing, nothing but stayed on the payroll. I like yeah. picture him walking around in a blue speedo, like doing <laughs> absolutely nothing. Because yeah. um, obviously, at this point, he uh, had no caregiving anything over Francis, but they kept right. him on the payroll. Oh um, the band was offered the headlining spot in Lollapalooza. And that's when Lollapalooza traveled. Yes. Because I, I went to Lollapalooza 96. Yeah. And I was lucky to, well, Metallica headline, mm-hmm. which is crazy because they're headlining this year. Yeah. And it's been so long. Mm-hmm. But they headlined and I was lucky enough to see Soundgarden. Oh, okay. Soundgarden was there in Lollapalooza 96. It was in, um, it was on a fairground in, in Rockford. Rockford. I think yeah. this was, you know what, I won't even say what. If it was Chicago, I think it was Chicago, but I'm not but positive. It, it, tra- it traveled. Yeah. Before it became a Chicago thing, it traveled yeah. to different cities. So it was like a 10, yeah. 10 state or 10 city tour. Yeah. Because they wanted it to be like a traveling Woodstock. Yeah. Which, which it is. Which it was. Yeah. I mean, in 96, I, I think that, it, I want to say it was like 20 or 30,000 people. Oh, it just, easily. It was a mob. You know. Leah wants to go this year. She's not going. I want to go this year. I think you, I do too. I think you and I should go. But she'd be pissed. She, We're she, going to Lala. No, she's not going. She's not going. No, she's not old enough. And I wasn't old enough either. Right. But I had supervision. I, I've that, worked these shows. I yeah. know what happens there. If it, like I, I would love to go to Lala this year. She would have to be fucking handcuffed to me. Yeah, she want, and then she wants to go with parents that we don't know. I don't. Right. The parent that I went stayed with us right right and like, that's what we, i would do we weren't allowed to do shit she doesn't he stayed with yeah, us she doesn't realize like it's a how mob. pretty she is and yes. how obnoxious yes. these shows are and like how quick people are to steal yes <laughs> like and to grab people. and fondle yeah and, no no oh, she's God, not I going to hate that word um fondle yeah can i fondle you <laughs> so kurt didn't want to do it um, him and Courtney fought about it all the time. She wanted more money for their financial future. Now, I did uh, read in a source that he gave it up so Hole could open. Oh. Wow. Didn't come up in what I what the last thing I was reading. Yeah. So, um, Kurt and Courtney's fighting had increased to the point that he um, inquired about canceling the rest of the European tour. Mm. They basically said, like, you fucking can't. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, it's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in damages. Yeah. Um, he couldn't get heroin, but he found a physician overseas to keep him medicated. Mm-hmm. Um, this is allegedly when he started taking uh, Klonopin. And what is Klonopin? Klonopin is, uh, it's got a lot of different 
Is it an opiate? No. No. Is it a narcotic? No. Mm -mm. I've heard of it. Yeah. Have I ever taken it? Yes. For what? To get you through withdrawals. Ah, okay. (laughs) That's what he was allegedly taking it for. But he was taking it in copious amounts. Well, I can't imagine not taking it because my withdrawals from fentanyl were... Right. Well, the the oh problem the problem with the clonopin is it, the side effects are are pretty shitty. Which oh, side I, effects of any medication increase yeah. with, um, like excessive use and and overuse and overdosage. And it it caused in him, it caused him to be manic. It caused him to be paranoid. Oh, babe, like it's trippy. Yeah. Like I remember the doctor coming when I was stuck in the ER for five days because they couldn't move me to a facility, that's when I did my withdrawal. But I remember I was on it and the doctor came in for an update. I mean, I felt like I was tripping. Mm-hmm. There were colors everywhere. He was like a skinny, yeah. like, and that, like I mean, a balloon. That could have been the withdrawals in and of themselves. Yeah. So it, it was, and he was talking to me, telling me like what he was doing and it just all blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. So um, upon their arrival in Munich on March 1st, Kurt said he was very ill. Uh, everyone who saw him that day reported a sense of desperation and panic to every action. Everybody left him alone, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt left soundcheck to go get drugs. He ended a call with Courtney in a fight again. Uh, he immediately called Rosemary, Rosemary Carroll, his attorney and her attorney, and said he wanted a, a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, before performing, Kurt announced he was going to break up the band, fire his managers, and divorce Courtney. Wow. After the performance, he canceled the next two shows. He saw a doctor who... Now, he wanted to cancel earlier, um, and he talked to Chris about it, and he ended up holding on for a little while because they were playing... Um, they were playing wherever Christ was from, oh, and his okay. family was going to be there. Yeah. So he didn't cancel then. He waited. A little random factoid for him. That's cool. Um, he saw a doctor who said that he could not perform because they needed that note for their insurance. Right. Um, and he recommended that he take two, two months off. Um, he then headed to Rome to meet with Courtney and Francis. At 6 a.m. the next morning, Courtney found Kurt on the floor unconscious with blood coming from his nostril. Per Courtney, he had $1,000 in cash in his right hand and a three-page note in the left. Mm. Uh, Supposedly, the note said, Dr. Baker says that like Hamlet, I have to choose between life and death. I'm choosing death. Per Courtney, he took 60 Rohypnol. Now, Courtney was seen taking one during an interview the night before. She was like, "It's, it's doctor prescribed. What's that? Roofies. Oh, okay. Um, so I question this, that he took 60. She said she found two bubble packs and a total of 60 rehypnols were taken, but she found him still breathing. What is the medical use for that? Rehypnol? Yeah. Uh, sedative, tranquilizer. Okay. Um, so rehypnol is 10 times stronger than Valium. Mm-hmm. So, 10 milligrams of Valium is too strong for Kurt, but but he took 60 fucking roofies and yeah. didn't die? Yeah, I don't know hmm. about that. Huh. 
Um, so he ended up being transported to the hospital and had his stomach pumped. Um, <clears throat> it was actually publicly announced that Kurt was dead. Really? Yes. Everywhere. It was announced that Kurt was dead. Wow. Um, the next day, a press conference was held stating that Kurt was recovering from a pharmacological coma caused by alcohol and tranquilizers prescribed by a doctor. Ooh. Not a suicide attempt. All right. Uh, Courtney told reporters he wasn't getting away from her that easily. Quote, I'll follow him through hell. <laughs> uh, many wondered if he had actually suffered brain damage in the coma. I'm sure he did. Um, and Chris was quoted as saying the band was broken up. Kurt had canceled the tour, turned down Lollapalooza, and refused to practice. Now, they still had them committed for Lala. Oh, really? Even though Kurt hadn't signed, they had him. They had the band committed um because they figured he would come around and he he would do it he ended up holding out so long they couldn't have him committed because then they wouldn't have a headlining act yeah so um so this incident in rome courtney called this is Lollapalooza. what 94 yeah okay um courtney referred to this incident in rome as his first suicide attempt um the doctors who treated him He was treated in Rome and then again in the U.S. Uh, Not a single doctor that treated him considered this in a suicide attempt. They considered it an accidental overdose. Hmm. Um, The note that he supposedly had in his hand, don't know where it is. Wow. Okay. Earmark that. Okay. Earmarked. Earmarked. Um, On March 12th, 1994, police responded to a 911 hangup. when they got to the house, Kurt answered the door and told the officers that there was just a lot of stress in his marriage. On March 18th, 1994, the police were called again for a suicidal Kurt. Courtney placed the call and said that Kurt was suicidal. Okay. She, she did. Uh, Officer Edwards wrote in his report that Kurt was, quote, not suicidal and doesn't want to hurt himself. He stated that he locked himself in the room to keep away from Courtney. Police again seized multiple guns and 25 boxes of ammunition, along with a bottle of, quote, white pills, which were clonopin, mm-hmm. that he was taking in copious amounts for the withdrawals. But it, again, like I said, it caused him to be delusional, paranoid, and manic. Yeah. Um, at this point, he wasn't paying attention to how much heroin he was shooting. He was just shooting, shooting it up. And like I said, even junkies were like, what the fuck is he doing? Yeah. Like, what? Um. He told people not to worry about an overdose because he was going to shoot himself in the head and that's how he was going to go out. Hmm. Third week of March, he was forced uh, into treatment by his managers. He at one point agreed that he needed to go and he needed to work on his, quote, psychic pain. Hmm. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, Sounds fancy. At this point, though, many people felt that Kurt just, he just didn't want to stop. Yeah. Uh, an intervention was scheduled, like. yeah, then canceled quickly after Kurt found out. Yeah. On March 25th, another uh, intervention was scheduled, and Courtney reportedly slashed all the tires on his cars so he couldn't leave. Mm. Um, he She left the one car that was his, like, old beat-up car that he still kept. Yeah. Because um, she said the tires were so bald, she didn't think he would risk driving it. Okay. Which is... What? Yeah, sure. What? Uh, Kurt was pissed personally attacked everybody in the room, uh, especially Courtney, saying she was more fucked up than he was. (laughs) Um, 
she was a fucking hot mess herself yeah. and yeah, had agreed was. to go to rehab at that point. Mm. She had to be carried out to the car. Jesus. He didn't go. So she was uh, on her way to Los Angeles to start a hotel detox, which is what I brought up earlier. Yeah. Um, a, a counselor and a medical professional will come in several times throughout the day yeah. and check on your progress. But you detox in a hotel because it um, basically takes away like the public knowledge of it. Right. right. Um, Kurt, at this point, was covered in scabs and abscesses. Oh, because he was using black tar heroin at this point and Jesus. what was used like there's a whole like biochemical degree to breaking it down and being able to shoot it and yeah. uh, it was causing infections. I've only seen it a couple times. Black on tar the heroin? Street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not many times. He almost OD'd again in a car. Um the following Tuesday, Chris was driving uh, Kurt to the airport after he agreed to go to treatment mm-hmm. and Kurt tried to jump from the car. literally tried to jump from the car. Chris said that the only reason he was able to keep him in the car was because his arms were so long. And he went home crying to his wife and said that he was certain that that was the last time he was going to see Kurt alive. Wow. Um, That night, Kurt had his buddy Dylan buy him a rifle, quote, for protection and because of prowlers. And in Washington at that time, there was no registration needed for rifles. So uh, the rifle and a box of shells cost Kurt $308.37. I don't know why I felt the need to put that in there. but Thanks. uh, On the way to the airport later, Kurt had called a uh, driver service, and he remembered that he had a box of shells in his bag. Mm -hmm. He asked the driver to dispose of them. Kurt went back to uh, Exodus, and he was in room 206 for the 28-day program. Kurt initially was in denial of any heroin problem, And multiple people said that he was in a regular room because nobody had told the facility that Rome was a suicide attempt. Hmm. Because it wasn't. Right. That's why. Because it wasn't. Yeah. So uh, Kurt was more concerned uh, and talked more about an impending lawsuit than he did Courtney. Mm Mm-hmm. Jackie ended up bringing Francis by the rehab facility Thursday and Friday because they advised Courtney to not go that early in detox for fucking both of them. They're both in detox. Um, Jackie noted how good his mood was on Friday and another friend that visited him visited him said, quote, whatever had troubled him, he seemed to have already made peace with. So it's very common for people, and I'm just saying this generalized, it's very yeah. common for people who have decided to take their own lives to be in a good mood mm-hmm. because they have come to peace with their decision and they have come to peace with everything that is bothering them and they feel as if a weight has been lifted off their shoulders. Yeah. Generalized statement. Right. Just um, <clears throat> Shortly after 7.23 that night, Kurt walked out the back door of Exodus, climbed the six-foot wall, and left with just the clothes on his back. Two hours later, he used a credit card to buy a first-class ticket to Seattle on Delta Flight 788. He booked a car and left a message for Courtney before boarding. Courtney was already searching L.A. and started a rumor that she OD'd to pull him out of hiding. Uh, Guns N' Roses' Duff McKagan sat next to Kurt on the plane and said, quote, I knew from all of my instincts something was wrong. Yeah. Kurt arrived home at 1.45 in the morning on April 2nd, 1994. 
He attempted to call Courtney, but was unable to talk to her because he had forgotten the code name for her. 20 minutes later, he left the home, telling the driver of a cab that he had, quote, recently been burglared and needed bullets. Obviously couldn't buy him at 7 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, he possibly checked into Crest or Quest Motel by his dealer, which he would often do, yeah. and bought a box of 20-gauge shotgun shells. Uh, per Courtney, she called the house every 10 minutes, and the calls went unanswered. Um, she did end up talking to Kelly, who said he hadn't seen Kurt. Yeah. He had. Kurt went into his room Saturday, and Kelly was so fucked up, he thought it was a dr- uh, drug-induced dream. Oh, jeez. Uh, Courtney canceled all of Kurt's credit cards. How's he supposed to get home? Yeah. Why would you do that? What? There were sporadic sightings of Kurt, one of them at a cactus restaurant, eating with possibly his drug dealer, uh, looking distraught after his credit card was declined and uh, nervously trying to write a check. Uh, On Sunday, Courtney called P.I. Tom Grant, who she found in the Yellow Pages. Mm -hmm. He put surveillance groups on Dylan's house and the dealer's house, but not on their house. Okay. Courtney instructed him to not put surveillance on their house because Kelly was there and he would notify her if Kurt arrived. Sure. They also didn't put surveillance on Kim's house, which was close, and Kurt owned that house. Yeah. Um, okay. That's... Kelly, like I said, Kelly didn't realize that he did see Kurt on Saturday. He thought it was a drug dream. Um, meanwhile, Courtney was in L.A. doing press for Hole's new album. Ooh. Cool. Um, Courtney called Dylan and was like, when, when the fuck did you see him? Like, yeah. you're hiding him. And he's like, I haven't seen him since I bought the shotgun. <laughs> so she finds out about the shotgun. Um, she calls Seattle police and files a missing persons report. Yeah. But was acting as Kurt's mother. She didn't file the report on her own. She said she was Kurt's mom. Okay. Um, the don't re- really get that. I don't either. But uh, the report said, quote, Mr. Cobain ran away from a California facility and flew back to Seattle. Maybe like media attention. I don't know. If she. I don't know. I don't really get that. Um, he also bought a shotgun and maybe suicidal. But the report goes on to describe him as, quote, not dangerous, but armed with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um. Officers drove by the house several times but saw no activity. Kelly and his girlfriend were in the house, yeah. but were instructed as the help that they should not leave their room. Okay. Courtney instructed them, apparently, Weird. to not leave their room. Um, on Tuesday, Courtney sent Holes Eric, or, uh, yeah, Eric Erlinson to the house to look for Kurt. He found Kelly and his girlfriend and was like, fucking help me search. Yeah. Look in every nook and cranny because he has a shotgun. Yeah. No one looked in the garage. Mm-hmm. No one looked in the garage. Um, on Thursday, Courtney sent Kelly back to the house to look. He had left to go to his other girlfriend's house. Um, when they were driving away, a friend of his said that he thought that he saw some activity above the garage, thought yeah. he saw a shadow, um, but didn't want to go back. Okay. Um, hang on, I got to find this page now. So he left a note, and the note was later described um, as sounding like it had been written knowing that Kurt was dead. Interesting. So he leaves this note that says, quote, Kurt, 
I can't believe you managed to be in this house without me noticing. You're a fucking asshole for not calling Courtney and at least letting her know you're okay. She's in a lot of pain, Kurt, and this morning she had another, quote, accident, and now she's in the hospital again. She's your wife, and she loves you, and you have a child together. Get it together at least to tell her you're okay or she's going to die. It's not fair, man. Do something now. He left it on the main staircase. Yeah. But again, like I said, it was described as if he knew already. Yeah. So two days prior to that, Kurt woke up in his own bed. He filled an entire sheet of paper with the words, I'm sorry. He also wrote, quote, I'll be there. I'll protect you. I don't know where I'm going. I just can't be here anymore. Hmm. He then wrote a letter to uh, Boda, his imaginary friend. The letters make me cry, so I am not going to read them out loud. Okay. (laughs) Um, He signed the letter to Boda, quote, peace, love, empathy, Kurt Cobain, underlying empathy twice. Uh, he then added another sentence, quote, Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. He then grabbed his shotgun and shells, two towels, a can of root beer, and headed to the greenhouse. Uh, from his journal, they amassed that this has always been the cure he kept in the back of his head. Yeah. Allegedly, he got up to the green room and wrote more on the note, um, and this was all about Courtney. Take care of Courtney. Be there for Courtney. This is the part of the note that many people think Courtney, Courtney wrote. Okay. Um, because the he had written separate notes, um, and in the suicide note that he was found with, it didn't mention Courtney until the very end. And she she read this she public read publicly, it publicly. Right? Yes. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> he had Mexican black tar heroin. And um, allegedly, he put the gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. This is obviously up for debate. Um, early on Friday, April 8th, electrician Gary Smith arrived at the home. Him and his crew had actually been there since the day before installing a new security system that Kurt had bought for the house. Mm-hmm. Um, Courtney was arrested Thursday for trashing the hotel room and drug use. And she ended up checking into Exodus on Friday. Okay. Now, in her belongings, she left herself memos everywhere. Yeah. And there was on a post-it note, a note to herself saying, get self-arrested. Take it for what you want. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. Yes. Um, So despite prior reports, Kurt was actually recognizable. Um, it was a buckshot, so there was the, the beads. Yeah. So. Um, it blew out the back of his head. It didn't come out of his head. Oh, really? No. Mm-mm. Oh. So there were no usable prints on the gun. Um, there were four smudged prints. Mm-hmm. And the fingerprint technician said that they were smeared because they had to pry the gun out of his hands because of rigor mortis. Yeah. Now I want to argue this. Okay. Okay. They found him on the 8th. He shot himself two days prior. Oh, the rigor mortis. There's no fucking rigor. Yeah, it's already gone. And the electrician stated that he thought he saw a mannequin with a rifle lying on his chest. Not being held, lying on his chest. There's no rigor 48 hours later. No. You're not prying shit out of his fucking hands. Yeah, it's already gone. Okay, so food for thought. Mm. All right. Um, That's a good point. 
He also had enough heroin in him uh, that they said would kill him if the shot didn't. Now, they they broke it down, and it was three times what they consider the lethal amount. Now, how many people came out and said the amount he was doing was fucking ridiculous? Yeah. So I'm not going to argue a lot on that. Yeah, because his tolerance could have been fucking through the roof. But they did say... You saw how I was mm -hmm. with the medication. Yeah. And the amount of fentanyl that I was on in the hospital, Now it could have killed the entire town. One of his overdoses, he was found with the needle still in in his arm. Now, with the amount of heroin in his system, this is what would happen. You would you would die with a needle in your arm. Yeah. They looked into it, and it, I can't remember where it was. There was only twenty six other documented cases of mm-hmm. this much heroin in somebody's system, and they all had died. Mm-hmm. So, take it take it for what you yeah. take it for what you want. So, I got to go to my handy dandy here. So. <clears throat> The electrician finds him. Obviously, they call the cops. They let Courtney know. And she's, babe, she's fucking crazy. Um, She left Los Angeles in a Learjet with uh, Francis, her attorney, the nanny, and Eric, who had gone to look for Kurt, who is now back with Courtney. Um, When she got there, obviously, the house was surrounded by news crews. She promptly hired security guards who put tarps over the greenhouse so the media couldn't peer in. Yeah. Um, prior to them going up, there was a photographer who was able to get that shot of his foot. Yeah. And they said that that's how they knew it was him because of that shoe. Um, he said he saw half of Kurt's body, his straight leg, his sneaker, and his clenched fist next to a cigar box. So not holding a rifle. Mm-hmm. Throw that out there again. Um, the King County Medical Examiner's Office issued a statement by the afternoon stating that the autopsy has shown that Cobain died of a shotgun wound to the head, quote, and at this time the wound appears to be Mm -hmm. self-inflicted. He would later on say that he put apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound because they had not completed the report at this time. He didn't want to come to conclusions. Yeah. Um, With it being an an alleged suicide, it still took Seattle police 40 days to complete their investigation, and they spent over 200 hours interviewing Kurt's friends and family. Wow. Um, The autopsy found evidence of benzodiazepines and obviously heroin. Um, It says that he pulled off a feat that was quite remarkable, though it bore similarities to his Uncle Burl's actions, who his Uncle Burl shot himself in the head and the abdomen, and those of his great-grandfather, James Irving, who had uh, actually stabbed himself in the stomach, survived, was admitted to a mental institution, and then died after he ripped open the wounds. The wound? Yeah. Wow. Um, they said that he used two methods to kill himself to ensure that one would be fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, Kurt... Courtney was inconsolable. She insisted police give her Kurt's blood-speckled corduroy coat, which they did. Wow. And she wore. That's not practice. When cops finally left the grounds, with only a security guard as a witness, she retraced Kurt's last steps, entered the greenhouse, which had not been cleaned, and immersed her hands in his blood. (laughs) She said... 
that she prayed and she howled and she wailed and she held her blood-covered hands up to the sky and screamed, why? Cool, the blood's still wet after 48 hours? Yeah, and I'm still thinking about that jacket. Why wouldn't that Yeah. Why wouldn't that be tested? It gets it gets better. Um <clears throat> So she sees him before he's cremated. His eyes were sewn shut. Random yeah. fact. Um that day many friends came to see Courtney. They all brought drugs. Oh. Obviously, she was just doing an immense amount of fucking drugs. Oh, good job. Um <clears throat> Soundgarden's Susan Silver ended up scheduling the private service Mm -hmm. in a church and a public candlelight vigil at Seattle Center. Um, They had, obviously, um, the the candlelight vigil. Uh, Courtney wrapped herself in layers of Kurt's clothes, recording a message to be played at the public memorial, which I'm not. I'm not reading her or Chris messages because, again... um, Courtney read the suicide note. Yeah, I know. Over the course of the next 10 minutes, she mixed Kurt's final words with her own comments on them. When she read the section where Kurt mentioned Freddie Mercury, she yelled, well, Kurt, so fucking what? Then don't be a rock star, you asshole. Why did she have the motherfucking suicide note? Yeah, that makes no sense. Why did she have this? Why was that released? It was in her hands. Yeah. And, and why, one of the witnesses why commented. Why Seattle PD give that yeah, to her? A witness commented, it wasn't in a bag. It wasn't, it, it was just, it was the notebook paper so in great. her hand. So great. You fuck, you know, testing it for fingerprints or anything. Yeah. So she kept that note, but she didn't keep the one from Rome. The the three-page note that was in yeah, his clenched fist. She didn't keep. Doesn't make any She sense didn't keep that one. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So. <clears throat> and shitty job for Seattle PD to let this shit go. Oh, I just read. Sorry. Um, yeah. So this is when somebody's saying it wasn't in a plastic bag or anything. She showed it to the kids outside of her home. She handed out his clothing. What? To people standing outside of his home. Dude. So now, who's paying attention to her? She's clearly fucked up. Right. Clearly. I mean, obviously. She's clutching the suicide note, reading it over a fucking PA system, and handing out his clothes? Yeah. Like, that's... kids were touching the suicide note. Yeah. So, I what? mean, great job by the PD. <sighs> so What are you doing? This is why I'm torn. So she ended up taking some of his um, ashes and buried them under a willow tree in front of the house. Mm -hmm. She uh, took some to a Buddhist monastery near Ithaca, New York. Um, His mom had a memorial service for him five years later. Um, She wants still to remove the willow tree after she, obviously, her and Francis moved. Courtney supposedly became close to Kurt's mom after his death, purchased her a home, um, and uh, I don't know. What? Nobody, nobody else got close with Courtney. Right. She didn't call anybody else. Okay. Um, she did invite his ex-girlfriend, though, Tracy, to come and say goodbye, mm. which I thought was 
Okay. That's a nice gesture. Tracy said she was taken aback by uh, Francis's beauty. She was barefoot wearing a purple dress and her eyes looked remarkably like those of a boy Tracy had once loved. Tracy, write me. Just no. saying. So that is the story of Kurt Cobain. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You're still torn. I, I don't. I don't know. I just, I, I think he killed himself. It, the writing was on the wall for so long. For years. For years. I, I don't think, Courtney was a junkie. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think she was smart enough to put together some fucking plan. Elaborate plan. Yeah. I, I just, she was too much of a junkie to make that happen. But that's my I- opinion. <sighs> This is why, like, this is why I want to put mental health out there so much. Because he needed fucking help. Yeah. He was crying for fucking help. Yeah. Nobody helped him. Right. You know, I didn't, I was told by a friend that he was prescribed antidepressants and he refused to take them. I didn't see in any sources that his depression was ever treated. Right. Um, it looked to me like something that was obviously the people turned away from. Um, it, it, the amount of self hate is. Oh yeah. That's it, it's that's not normal. Right. It, it's not. Right. And the the things that he wrote about himself and he needed help. Yeah. You know oh, whether without, whether without he I mean he obviously didn't want to accept help, but that was with regards to his drug use why would he want to stop the drugs that are basically stopping the voices in his head right why aren't we treating the underlying condition so now there's many things that are speculated that there's no way that he could have shot himself in the position that he was in right the rifle was too long he did too much heroin yeah um i don't i don't know he he it was like he had he had set his mind to it in eighth fucking grade. Yeah. That that's what I'm saying. He he knew what was gonna happen. He he didn't want to live like that. Mm-mm. If you're if you're struggling, I mean if I wasn't on the medication yeah. I was, babe, there's no fucking way. He he would say no too when he was younger that he um didn't want to live past thirty because you know what happens after you turn 30. Like, you, you know, he, he just, yeah. he didn't want to live past 30. He didn't. No. He's part of that 27 club, yep. which is what his grandfather said. He's part of that fucking club now. Yeah. Um, I, this one hurt my heart. I think like at first I'm like, fuck you, dude. Like I'm a product of divorce too. Right. Get over it. Move the fuck on. You wanted the success. You get the success and then you piss on it. But then it's like, he pissed on it because he didn't, he was afraid that it would disappear. Yeah. So if he pisses on it first, then he doesn't lose. Right. But. Yeah. Makes sense. He was, he was. He, he needed help. He was hurting. Yeah. He needed help. Yeah. And. And Courtney was no help. You're with your, you're with another junkie. That's just going to fucking add to it. Yeah. And I mean, that's why he didn't want treatment. Yeah. I think it was helping more than his stomach pains. I think it was helping his head. Yeah. But I also think that that's why he was in the mood he was in Friday before. 
he like his his friend said he had come to peace with it. Yeah, and that makes sense. It's just a weight is lifted. You don't have to fucking worry mm-hmm. about anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep. So and it, you know, it he was in that euphoric state of the heroin process mm-hmm. when he shot himself. Maybe that was the last thing he wanted to feel. Yeah. I, I don't know. This one hurt my heart a little. Yeah. Like, this is why mental health needs to be discussed, and it needs to be out in the open. And And there needs to be more help. There needs to be so much more help. Yeah. Because I don't think at that time anybody would have thought, like, looking in his journal, okay, we need to petition this fucking guy. Yeah. Because, I mean, his entire journal is grounds for... Petitioning. Petition yeah. is when you involuntary, involuntarily admit somebody for a 72-hour psych hold. Right. Um, but it's Which, so... Which, did you do that to me or did I sign myself? You signed yourself in. Okay. Um, the, the note he wrote to Boda, his imaginary friend, mm. I think was to himself. It makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. This one hurt me a little. <laughs> I had a hard time with this one. Well, you did a really good job on it. You did a lot of good digging. and It's, yeah, you either think he did it or, you, you know, he didn't. You think Courtney did something. But I, I, I just don't think so. I, I think the writing was on the wall. He was suffering oh my God. very much with mental health issues. He wanted it to end. He did it, you know, and and for all these conspiracy theories with Courtney, she is a flat out fucking slob. Yeah. You know, junkie. Yeah. She's how how is she going to put together some cockamamie fucking plan to kill him? And what would be the purpose with her 22 year old coke, you know, fused nanny? Yeah. I, I just what would be the purpose? I don't know. There was already a prelim. A prenup. A prenup. Yeah. And, and well, she at one point asked if the prenup could be absolved. No. But she was going to get everything anyways. Yeah. Like, exactly. it's all going to go to Francis. His last will and testament ended up never being signed. Right. So she as the spouse gets everything anyways. Yeah. What, so what's what, the difference? What would be the, yeah. So I, 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 I just don't believe it. I... I and this is this is a far off fucking thought, but I think maybe this theory started because people didn't want to admit that their hero killed himself. Killed himself. And yeah. people did not want to openly admit that he was as mentally ill as he was because it was right. faux pas. So somebody else did it. Right. He's okay. I mean somebody that's... else did it. I mean in the nineties it's with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, I, I've said this before. When something big happens, it, it's almost like you can't believe it. Right. So then you, you, you come, come up, up with, with this thing. You come up with their, you know, people come up with conspiracy theories because they just can't believe. Right. Right. That right. something actually happened. And in, in the early 90s, this was unfucking heard of. Mental health was not talked about. It was not treated. It was not discussed. So for these people to think that their idol was hearing voices and, and yeah. shot himself to stop him, like people just, I don't think people could 
grasp onto that idea. So it was easier to say he was murdered. Right. Because then, again, he wouldn't have to take responsibility for his own actions. And his, his fans were allowing him to continue that after death. Right. So, oh, well, that was a good one. We're way over two hours now. That's so. okay. People were waiting for this one. So. Yeah, but it, it was good. You you really dug deep. I appreciate it. You said some things that I had no clue about either. So, which made me happy. Yeah, <laughs> that's always so. my goal. And you like fucking random factoids. I'm like, what? How the I, fuck do I you know you, that? I, Dude, I was obsessed with them. You don't remember? Like, this is the same thing as fucking Ace Ventura. You don't remember the last time you wiped your balls, but you fucking remember this shit? Right. (laughs) Two notes into the movie of Ace Ventura, you're like, it's Ace Ventura. What? (laughs) What? You don't remember what state we're in right now. I know, and I'm reciting the fucking movie. Oh, my God. My brain is so fucked. Mm. But No, this was good. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know a lot of people have been waiting for it. So, um, our next episode will be a Patreon exclusive. It's going to be Waco. Waco, Texas. Um, Mm -hmm. so if you want to hear it, you guys are going to have to sign up. Um, for all our new Patreons, thank you so much. I guys are awesome. Yeah. I mean, I did not expect that many to sign up, you know, this time. And Janet, here's your shout out. (laughs) <laughs> i love janet josh my nephew buddy good job man janet Thank do you, you remember when you wrote that you wanted vagina tacos for lunch <laughs> just saying i want a gyro for dinner she did she was counting speculums and wrote vagina and then what she wanted on her tacos oh that's cool i have a picture of it to prove it <laughs> just saying nice yeah but thank you guys so much um Hope you hope you guys enjoyed it. Please spread the word. Yeah. You know, like, follow, subscribe, leave a review. We still love re- reviews. We do, unless they're bad. Then don't. <laughs> then don't. No, we'll take the bad too. No, 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 no. But you, you guys are, are great. Seriously, I get so many messages from you guys on Facebook. You know, I fucking love interacting with you guys. Like, we've known yeah. each other for years. Yeah. It's, I love it. It's awesome. And I hope to keep it that way. Yeah. So, you know, just please spread the word, though, so we can still, you know, get out there some more. We so. need sponsors. Yeah, we, we definitely need some sponsors. So Mark today told me to, quote, move my ass and get out two episodes a week. Yeah, that would I be almost cried. Funny. I know. Did you hear me like, Ugh. Yeah, I know. I, I know it's, it's it, that'd be too hard right now, but that, that's why that's we my, need sponsors. That would be my main goal, <laughs> you know, two a week. Would oh, be yeah, my, for sure. My goal. Yeah. But anyways, okay, hope you guys enjoyed this. Like I said, next episode, uh, you know, within the next couple of days is going to be a Patreon only. Um we go Texas. You said the next couple days. What day is today? Sunday. Oh. So probably next weekend. Yeah. We're we're doing pretty consistent. Yeah, either Saturday or Sunday we're releasing. So we'll we'll keep it that way. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. What? We're releasing. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you very much, and we will be talking to you soon. Bye. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.